I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres, such as demons, fallen angels, franchises, and directors' bodies of work. And of course, we can't dissect and discuss these films in the detail we do without spoilers. Hey, long time no see, buddy. I know, right? I mean, I know my driveway is really long, but I was only taking down the trash. And we're back. Quality fucking content right here. <laughs> Look, guys, my wife and I are taking the kids to Disney in a couple weeks. I had to cram two episodes in here, and we couldn't decide between demon movies. So why not record two demon episodes back to back? Yeah, yeah. So uh, anybody who's like, fuck bad Milo, I got a better movie this time. <laughs> Both my choices are good. <laughs> I wish I had like current news and corrections and stuff, but uh, I guess we're going to have to double time that on the next episode. Yeah. So I guess why not just dive straight into the movies? And I'm starting with a favorite of mine, 2009's Jennifer's Body. And I didn't see this movie until three nights ago when I rented it for the podcast. Are you serious? Yeah. This is one of them. I, I love this movie and I actually had the poster because I think I worked in a movie theater when it came out. can't remember, but I had the actual theatrical poster and it was in the collection of posters I gave away because I'm never going to have a giant room I can cover in posters ever again. I, I saw Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and uh, no Megan Fox for me. Oh, it's it's a lot better than what I've heard the Ninja Turtles movie is. I've taken shits that were better than the uh, Ninja Turtles movie. I'm glad I skipped those. Like in all seriousness, man, even for the, the damn plastic jumpsuits and everything in the old Turtles movies, mm-hmm. like every idea that seemed wrong was like, that's what we're going to do. We're going to CGI them. We're going to make them all racial stereotypes. It's going to be a great film. I mean, have you seen the Transformers movies? The first one. So past that, <laughs> Michael Bay gets racist. What? Like, yeah, man. I mean, like the Ricer cars are Asians doing the voice. And then there are like two cars that have like gold rims and stuff. And they have gold teeth and they talk ghetto. And they're also really dumb. Oh, so you're like the car characters are stereotypes of their type of cars they're terrible is what it is (laughs) michael bay should be ashamed of himself (laughs) luckily he had nothing to do with this film though okay this movie was directed by karen kusama who did girl fight and aeon flux but in the horror realm she did the invitation and then it was written by diablo cody who's most famously known for juno yeah i don't even know who she is but i know about juno (laughs) (laughs) it's a good movie you should watch it She actually wrote this, I think, while they were filming Juno. Like, they were kind of at the same time. She just always wanted to make a horror movie. So she was like, let's go ahead and fire this one out while I can. Okay. And oddly enough, until we went to do this episode, for some reason, I thought she was also the director of the film. So Ah. I always said written and directed by completely incorrect. And there's quite a few actors and actresses in this film, but our, our principal cast is Megan Fox as Jennifer, Amanda Seyfried as Needy, Johnny Simmons as Chip, and fucking Adam Brody as Nikolai, which is forever going to be my favorite role of his, I think. I love that dude. I've loved that dude since the OC. I'll admit it. (laughs) (laughs) I know he's mostly known from that, right? Well, don't forget Grind. Everyone else did, but don't forget Grind. (laughs) I don't know what that is, so apparently I have. I didn't see anybody that jumped out to me for special effects, but I did when I was trying to Google special effects for this movie. I saw that this movie's actually used a lot for special effects classes in film schools. For why? I think just it's a, the mixture of practical with the digital, and they like layered over physical stuff with digital a lot. And honestly, 
they're not bad special effects. Like some stuff, you know, when she demons out or whatever, it's obviously digital. But I mean, she goes from standing there to having like a giant mouth with razor teeth. There's not many ways you can do it. Shark Except for teeth. Fright Night. And that's, uh, <laughs> it didn't look good then. It probably doesn't look good now. Oh, I love when we're on the same wavelength. <laughs> we covered too many movies together. Before I go all the way into the movie, there was uh, a few little interesting tidbits I saw. One was the movie's horrible marketing, right? So they just wanted to focus on Megan Fox and her being hot and fan servers for her and basically left Amanda Seyfried out of almost all trailers and any talks about it on the talk show circuit. And Karen Kusama says that the marketing team, which I'm sure was all males when you hear this idea, had this great idea that why don't they just get Megan Fox to do chats on porno sites like Pornhub with fans and stuff. And that'd be the marketing thing for the movie. And she was like mortified because she's like, do you not get what this fucking movie's about? It's about girls and coming of age. And you're wanting her to be on a fucking porno site. And she's like, please don't fucking tell Megan any of these ideas because you're going to destroy her. Like, what the fuck, right? Did they do this or was it just an idea that was kicked around? Oh, no, no, no. The director fucking stopped it. Stopped okay. the studio from doing it somehow. Um, so good Jesus for her. Jesus Christ. <laughs> fucking Slumber Party Massacre didn't I even know. go that route. Diablo Cody had always wanted to write a horror movie. So, like, when she was, like, filming Juno and knew it was going to be a big thing, she decided to go ahead and, and get this movie out. And she was actually mortified that this movie just got fucking eviscerated when it came out to the point that she took a break from writing and supposedly she can't get big budget jobs anymore because that after winning a fucking Oscar for Juno. I don't know what to say, man. I'm biased. I don't like Megan Fox. I just I don't <laughs> like her, man. <laughs> I don't like her in some stuff, but honestly, she was perfect for this role to me. Like, I can't picture another woman doing it. And she went all in. I mean, like, I read that she got down to 97 pounds, so she'd look sickly when she was supposed to, you know, like, be ill and needed to go eat and stuff. Yeah. And they didn't even ask her to do it. She just thought it would help, like, to do it. I think it's really cool that she fucking took the time to do that kind of shit. I can respect getting that involved in the character. And I will honestly say out of the shit that I've seen her in, this is her best performance. I don't know if like seeing her over, seeing her face everywhere in the media at certain times, I got like the oversaturation thing and like, I don't like her. I don't know. It's like the whole thing with uh, Josh Hartnett. Like, I don't like the guy. I can't say this is why. I just can go, I don't know. I just don't like the guy. <laughs> and I just look at you and say, lucky number 11 and 30 days a night. Come on, man. Yeah. You say one good one and then one bad one. Oh, <laughs> sick burn. <laughs> <laughs> Real quick though, uh, Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried both say this was like their favorite movie to make. They just okay. had like the most fun making it. Megan Fox says that she partially took the role just because almost everything Jennifer says crosses the line. <laughs> and she wanted to just be able to say fucked up vulgar crazy shit and it'd be funny. Like sitting on a bag of frozen peas after getting it in the butt. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting there. <laughs> and the only other interesting thing that I found was apparently Diablo Cody tried to pitch the idea of the movie being made as a TV show. And they're like, who would make a TV show out of a horror movie that failed? And she said, have you ever heard of Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Hey. <laughs> hey it worked. But they haven't done that, unfortunately. And like I said, this movie is a fun ride. Honestly, I put it, I, I don't know where, I, I don't know if it hits top 10, but top 20 for me. And I always kind of counted it as a slasher movie. It's got a lot of those like fun slasher vibes to me. I'll kind of get yeah. to that as we go. But anyways, I'm going to dive into the movie. So we open up to Needy, played by Amanda Seyfried in a mental institution, doing a voiceover. And she says she receives more letters than Santa Claus, Zac Efron, and Dr. Phil combined. 
I'm kind of the shit. She says that people are always praying for her, but it does not help, and it's not going to bring anybody back. And we see a picture of her and her boyfriend, Chip. So we're assuming he's dead at this point. And we can see that things are grim there and that she's a kicker. <laughs> she seems to be normal compared to the other patients, other than Sparta kicking the doctors across the room. And... For kicking said doctor, she gets thrown into a padded room and decides to tell us the story of how she got here. Very Saturday morning cartoon of them. We see that she's from a small town called Devil's Kettle, which is named after a waterfall that has this bitchin' fucking whirlpool at the bottom that scientists don't know where it goes. And we see them, like, dumping GPS balls and shit. It looks like stuff from Dolly from Twister. Yeah. Apparently, that's a real waterfall with a real whirlpool, and it's actually called Devil's Kettle. No shit. The town's not real, but yeah, you know, they named it after it. So that's kind of neat. We see a POV stalk of a house with a rough looking Megan Fox laying in bed watching TV. And we see Needy pop up in the window with a hoodie on. And she says that Jennifer's not always looked this rough. Cue the yearbook opening story. And we see that Needy, Jennifer, and Chip were all normal back then in France. That's what the, the voiceover says. Jennifer's the babe cheerleading captain and Needy is the nerdy band geek. But she says they have a sandbox love that never dies. We're totally lesbian gay. But after our voiceovers and opening montage, we, we cut to high school and we see Jennifer wants Needy to go to a show at a club with her, she says. And Needy's like, but I'm supposed to go out with Chip. And she's like, just blow him off. And what does she do? Needy blows off Chip for Jennifer. She says that she has to dress sexy, but she can't show more than Jennifer. <laughs> And Chip is jealous that Needy's showing off her front butt and her womb in her outfit. <laughs> I thought that was fucking hilarious. I just want to say Chip is young Neil yes. from Scott Pilgrim, which I think we've joked about it several times, young Neil. And uh, how many episodes can we fit the name Neil in in one season? I'm I don't curious. know, but we're fucking coming out swinging this year. But we see that Needy will do anything that Jennifer tells her to do and that she does not ever want to upset her. Also, Jennifer thinks that it smells like Thai food in there. Have you guys been fucking? Seriously, though, her dialogue, it's just like, I mean, she said it's part of why she took the job because she, she's like reading all these fucking things she gets to say. And she's like, why not? This sounds great. Yeah. and But there's some of it. I should have taken notes during the movie. She's going to say some shit that like, even if you look it up on Urban Dictionary, they're like, no, that was never a thing. We don't know what kind of MySpace shit she was saying. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And like, to me, I think this movie is going to perfectly encompass like our different taste in, in horror comedies like because you picked Bad Milo and this is like the horror comedy to me because to me this is just like straight up a horror movie with just fucking random joke one-liners and I love I love me some one-liners <laughs> but they head off to this bar called Melody Lane and it's a hole-in-the-wall bar and Needy sees that it's not actually a club like it's just literally like a redneck bar I do want to say Needy her name's Anita yeah and, and that's just her nickname I'm sure by Jennifer who's just bitchy to her perpetually yes but we find out that they're only there because Jennifer is stalking the lead singer of a band that's playing. And we basically see that Jennifer is just bitchy to everyone from her high school because apparently this bar is full of high school kids. I thought that was kind of weird. None of them are drinking this. So maybe they do allow all ages people for shows. Which would make sense. And as young as we were playing shows and going to shows, that's okay. I was about to bitch about it, but never mind. We also see that she dated a, a much younger Chris Pratt. And this is uh, like a Parks and Recs Chris Pratt, not a Guardians of the Galaxy Chris Pratt. Is that your way of saying doughy? (laughs) This is the Jesse version of Chris Pratt. (laughs) But we find out he's going to be a cop soon, right? Because that joke gets brought up a couple of times. Yeah. And apparently they dated and or fucked previously, right? And he just wanted to hang out with her and she's not there for him. The band starts to set up and Jennifer says that 
they look like they need some groupies and her and needy should go be the groupies and needy. You can tell is kind of unsure of herself and doesn't know what she should do or how they should approach. But Jennifer tells needy that their boobs are like smart bombs and all you have to do is point them in the right direction. And then shit gets real. This is kind of accurate, <laughs> especially high school era. That's entirely accurate. No, but Jennifer very ditzily introduces herself to the singer of the band Low Shoulder, Nikolai, played by Adam Brody. And it was almost the dude from Fallout Boy or another, I don't fucking remember, rock punk band. And then they decided to go with him. Like Pete Wentz? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and I think they made the right choice going with him. Because he's like, not only is he an established actor, but his I don't give a fuck attitude in this thing. And yeah. then even when the comedy kicks in, he, he's just perfect for it. But uh, it's really weird because Jennifer's so sure of herself except for when she's talking to him, and I think it's all part of an act. But Needy wants to know why they're playing all the way out in Devil's Kettle when they're from the big city. <laughs> and Nikolai says that uh, they think it's really important to connect with their fans in the shittier areas, too. <laughs> and and uh, Amanda Seifert's face is like, what the fuck? And, yeah. and um, basically, Jennifer thinks he's like a, you know, fucking deserves a, a peace prize for this, right? <laughs> But Jennifer goes to get him a drink and she goes on to some fucking rant about like it's the nine eleven towers and it's red, white, and blue and it turns brown. I don't fucking know. It's just such there's such random dialogue in this movie. Yeah, I watch a lot of shitty stuff, and that's like the worst nine eleven joke I've seen shoehorned <laughs> into anything ever. But uh she goes to get the drink while G and Brady goes to play pinball. Which is what the band calls her, right? That's yes. what they call Nini. But we hear Nikolai talking to the bass player. And Nikolai tells the bass player that she's the one, and he can tell that she's a virgin because he's from a small town. The bass player says, I thought you were from Brooklyn, right? And he also lets him know, I I love this part, being me, the bass player. He says that he demands some respect because he's not just a bassist, he's a person who plays bass. (laughs) One of the guys in the band, it's, it's not the bass player, is the actual singer that wrote all the songs. Oh, really? And he's the singer that, Adam, you know, Adam Brody's just fucking lip syncing yeah. to him. But he's actually one of the band members. I just don't know which one. No shit. Uh, but yeah, I love the bass player joke. But but Needy hears all this going on, and Karen has some really cool, I know she's not the cinematographer, but the director has a lot of say in this. There's a lot of cool shots in this movie, and I like this one because she's like in focus playing pinball, and the band's like out of focus way in the background, but she's like cutting her eyes over like she spied on him. Yeah. I really like how they shot it. But but she hears all of it and goes over to Nikolai and goes off on him and tells him that Jennifer's a person and she's also a virgin and that beats sleeping with creeps like him. Jennifer comes back and tells Needy that she thinks the singer wants her and Needy tells her that he's a creep and only wants her because he thinks she's a virgin and she says she's not even a backdoor virgin anymore and that she had to sit on a bag of peas thanks to Roman, which is Chris Pratt. Low Shoulder starts their set and Jen is enamored by Nikolai and Needy seems to be enamored by Jen. She's just staring at her, they're holding hands and then she kind of realizes that Jen's looking at the guy, not into her like that, right? The bar then randomly catches on fire while the band's playing, and several people are burned alive, knocked over, trampled to death, everything before Needy's eyes, and Jennifer's just kind of frozen in place like a deer in headlights. And Needy grabs her and takes him to the bathroom and sneaks him out the bathroom window. While they're outside freaking out like in the gravel, Nikolai randomly shows up drinking a cocktail. Yeah. <laughs> and, he's like, and, shit. <laughs> and he's like, oh, thank God you two made it. I looked for you everywhere. <laughs> and he's like, I'm in survival mode right now. And survival mode means I need to get somewhere familiar like my van. Let me take you to my van. And uh, somehow this works on Jen and she ditches Needy and she's like, I got to go in his van. And she leaves with the band, right? 
Needy doesn't trust him, she says, because he's skinny, evil, and twisted like this tree that she saw as a kid. And it cuts back to her seeing this creepy fucking tree, which was random, but it was funny that she addressed Adam Brody that way. It's like a family guy joke. (laughs) So Needy goes home alone, and she calls Chip to tell him about the fire and Jennifer leaving with the van. Chip wants to know if she got the make and model of the van. I don't know, Chip, an 89 rapist? I'm glad she said it because it was a rape van to me the whole time. Yes, and that's uh, that may be the funniest line in the movie to me. That's <laughs> pretty good. But Jennifer shows up to the house acting creepy, covered in blood, and looking like death, basically. I do love the setups for the jump scares, though, that never happen because they do lots of the door blocking the camera and you know something's going to be there. And she closes it and they're not. Yeah. And then you get numb to it. And then they finally have a jump scare of Jennifer standing behind her when she turns around. And not only does she look weird, but she's eating everything in the fucking house, right? Like she goes into the fridge, starts growling like a demon, eating the food by the handfuls, and then just pukes up this black shit that turns into needles on the floor and scares the shit out of Needy and then just splits. She just leaves like nothing happened. Yeah, she's got some serious STD action going on. (laughs) (laughs) And that was, uh, I read they just used chocolate syrup. Okay. And then they like made it prickly, like with CGI. Ah, so it was like the practical mixed with the uh, with the digital there. We cut to the next day at the school, and we can see that everyone's talking about the fire and how they heard that Jennifer and Needy had to fight their way out with the machete and <laughs> save yeah. everybody's lives. And Needy must have PTSD or something. She's just sitting there staring into space, but it's because she's worried about Jennifer and doesn't know where the fuck Jennifer is. And she starts having sandbox flashbacks, and then Jennifer just shows up in class in front of her, looking completely normal. Make up and attractive again and not looking half dead. <laughs> Jen, however, does not give a fuck about the fire or anyone who died in it. And uh, J.K. motherfucking Simmons is their teacher. And he has like a hook hand and scars on his face. And he's over the top. Yeah, he's great. And it's because he was in Juno and stuff like that. And that's why, oh. yeah, so Diablo Cody wanted him in the movie. There's actually, I, I didn't write it down. There's like four or five people from Juno in this movie. Okay. On purpose. But the school's obviously distraught. Well, except for Jennifer and needy tells chip about Jennifer and chip says that clearly she just inhaled a bunch of smoke or something. And that's why all that happened. Like the puking up the black spiky shit and looking like death. Yeah, totally. And we meet uh, Colin gray who looks like Billy Joe Armstrong's son. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And find out that him and needy are friends and kind of seems like she likes him. She's at least protective of him. And it's actually, he's, uh, Oh God, he was in the nightmare on Elm street remake. Yeah. Quinlan or what is it? Quinlan and Quentin. Don't give me the line. The wife was pointing it out to me. I should know I have his character on Dead by Daylight. Anyways, <laughs> like we can't have an episode of the podcast without that coming up. <laughs> it's actually been a long time. I know. <laughs> but we immediately cut to the football field because there's this big football jock that was just balling more than the other kids, right? I actually love this shot because you can like hear this music playing and the camera's really far out from him. And he's standing on the football field by the tree line and the camera just kind of rushes in on him really quick, right? And he's sitting there upset, and he looks to his left, and we can see Jennifer off in the distance walking towards him, and he sees her. And then he looks straight, and then he cuts to the right, and she's just fucking standing there. And she's looking at him all creepy, and I, like, love all the creepy, like, ghost slasher elements they kind of do with her, because they're really neat shots. Vampire. Uh, That's a good one, too, yeah. (laughs) But basically, Jennifer seduces the jock in the woods and makes out with him. As all of the animals in the woods gather to watch them like she's a fucking Disney princess. 
She then eats them with her giant mouthful of razor sharp teeth. And Captain Hook can hear the screaming <laughs> off in the distance, right? And it's so funny because he can hear him screaming in pain. And, he's, and he looks up and he's like, you let it out, son. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you cry. And then he realized something's off. Yeah. And he goes in the woods only to find like this disemboweled jock being eaten by a deer. You mean it wasn't raccoons? No trash pandas. Back at Needy's house, though, we see that her and her mom are hanging out. And on the radio, we can hear that Low Shoulder is being interviewed for being the heroes that were pulling people out of the burning bar, saving their lives. And that they have a new record that's about to drop that's going to be a hit because of their hit single. Fucking assholes. <laughs> I mean, that's douchebag O'Neill's, right? Like, it sums them up perfectly. Needy bounces between phone calls with Chip and Jennifer. And Chip really needs to see Needy and... While Jennifer's on hold, we see her grab a lighter and scorch the end of her tongue, and then it instantly heals right as Needy pops back on the line with her, and she says, I think I'm a guy. <laughs> and Needy doesn't know what the fuck's going on. <laughs> I didn't even catch that part. Yeah, because she's on hold. She's like, don't you put me on hold. And she puts her on hold to go to the chip, and then you see her grab a lighter, and she sticks her tongue out and just fucking burns the shit out of it, and then it heals. And then as soon as Needy pops over, she says something. She goes, Needy, I think I'm a guy. <laughs> It's fucking serious as a heart attack. Oh, it's great. But then we get like a, a time lapse over the next few weeks, and we see that the school's mourning, except for Jennifer, who seems to be having the time of her life, basically. And the town's now famous because of the bar fire and the football jock being murdered by a freak-tarted cannibal psychopath, is what he's referred to in the movie. And Low Shoulders Through the Trees has become the town's anthem. I got to say, I meant to tell you this earlier. I, this song has been stuck in my head. I'm so sorry. For over like a week. <laughs> I'd rather have Tokyo Convertible stuck in my head. <laughs> nah. But what we can see, though, is Jennifer is starting to look like death again. And we hear that Low Shoulders donating 3% of the singles profits to the families of the tragedies, right? Those kind assholes. <laughs> what happens to the other 97%? I fucking love that part. And basically the class is just like fucking chastising her because they're like heroes, right? And she's oh, sure yeah. talking shit. Yeah, they're sucking the band's dick hard. <laughs> and, and class lets out. And in the hall, Jennifer's explaining how she feels like shit. And Colin walks up and hits on Jennifer. And it's a swing and a miss. And he walks <laughs> off. And I don't know. She says something like, oh, that's cute. He thinks he has a chance with me. But Needy starts talking about how he's like a nice guy. And she shouldn't treat him like that. And, that, and she likes him. And... This makes Jennifer decide that she wants to go on a date with him, even though she has a bigger dick than he does, right? <laughs> Everything she says is great. The whole conversation, though, I wish I would have taken better notes on it, but, like, he's talking about literature and poetry and plays and Shakespeare. I forgot to read Hamlet. Is he going to fuck his mom? She doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Yeah. Like, do you want to go to Rocky Horror Picture Show, which is like, I hate boxing movies. <laughs> Fucking the whole conversation between the two of them is great. We cut to that night, and there's a lot of hard cuts in between Chip and Needy and Colin and Jennifer. Right. But basically, Needy and Chip have the house to themselves and they're hooking up that night. And we see Collins rocking out some fucking screeching weasel <laughs> on his way to his date with Jennifer. I fucking love me some screeching weasel growing up. So it's nice to hear that. But as we cut back and forth, we see Chip and Needy trying to do their thing and Colin getting confused because the address Jennifer gave him is taking them into like a construction area, I guess. Yeah. I wouldn't say the projects. It looks like it's new construction. Yep. There's no power. There's fences up everywhere. There's no people, most importantly. And he's a little confused. Yeah, and this is through text. They're not like on the phone. Right, right, right. And by the way, I said Chip and Needy are trying to do their thing. By doing their thing, I mean, they're trying to figure out how to fucking 
condom works so they can have awkward first time sex, right? Oh, like yeah. it's really like funny between the two of them. Just like my first time. Colin ends up stopping at the house and he finds a room in this under construction house with a boombox playing music and candles lit in it. He's surprised by a very horny Jennifer <laughs> as she jumps all over him and her eyes demon out. And she tells him that she needs him to be afraid as she starts torturing him. I need you frightened. I need you hopeless. That's because that releases more adrenochrome. I don't know where you're going. Is this a fluoride thing? No. But we cut back to Chip and Needy, and they're actually having sex now. And Needy can basically see what's happening through Jennifer's eyes. And she can feel what's going on. And she's seeing blood all around her. And then we eventually get this, like, cool shot. It's just a shadow of, like, fucking Jennifer's jaw, basically, like, this hinging or whatever, just ripping his bowels out. I really like how they did it with a shadow. Yeah. But as Needy's screaming, Chip thinks it's him doing all this and that he's on point. And it, it's actually just because she's fucking traumatized because she can see and feel everything Jennifer's doing. Yeah. But it's really interesting because the cuts between Needy and Jennifer are showing like the innocence and the evil. Yeah. Right. Like it's like dark and light basically. Cause this is like the innocent teenager thing happening with her sex date while Jennifer's is eating the guy. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's a little fucked, but I kind of like the, the yin and yang there. Yeah. But needy, you know, stops with chip, gets dressed and takes off driving. And we see Jennifer scamper across the street out of the woods. It's kind of fucked up looking. And she jumps on needy's car, just completely covered in blood and I think she beats the window in and Needy just takes off in reverse really fast and goes home crying for a mama bear who's not there to protect her. And that was a conversation she said with her mom earlier. Cause she's like, I'm tough. And she's like, yeah, but you're going to need me one day. I'm not going to be there. Yeah. And that has now happened. But Needy eventually goes to bed and she finds Jennifer in her bed, rocking a fucking awesome evil dead t-shirt. And there's an evil dead poster on the wall in the background. I'm glad you caught both of those. But Jennifer starts to kiss Needy which is clearly something that Needy's always wanted, and they begin to make out on the bed. And now I'm interested in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, Josh. Until uh, Needy snaps out of it and yells, what the fuck is happening right now? And she explains that she like saw the whole thing. But they start to have kind of like a heart-to-heart -heart talk, which is kind of odd because Needy knows what Jennifer's doing now, basically, right? Yeah. But she cares for her, right? And Jennifer decides to come clean on what happened to her the night of the fire. She says that low shoulder is basically agents of Satan, but with awesome haircuts. And when she was in the van with them, she started to realize that it was more than a rape van because there were occult and witchcraft books fucking everywhere. Yeah. These guys are the quote unquote real deal. <laughs> and, um, they start arguing and, about her being a virgin and try to make sure that she's a virgin and she lies to him to sound inexperienced. Yes, I'm a virgin. I'm a virgin. I've never, I've never even done sex. I don't know how. So you guys should find somebody who does know how. But basically she's hoping that, you know, if I sound like I don't know what I'm doing, maybe they won't try to rape me. But that's not what they're after. Nope, nope. Total backfire. They take her to the waterfall in the woods under the waxing moon. They make sure they point out because <laughs> that's what the ritual said. And she tries to escape but fails. And this whole scene gave me a last house on the left vibe. Parts of it. When she gets out of the van, the comedy stops up until he's about to stab her. Yeah. It's very dark. She's like screaming. She actually looks like she's suffering. Like it was some great acting out of Megan Fox here. Yeah. And I don't know. I feel like that was a vibe they were going for. Maybe I just took it that way. But they tie her to a rock and they light torches around her and they prep their ritual because they want to be awesome like the guy from Maroon 5. <laughs> 
But Nikolai starts to explain how hard it is to make it as an indie band, and they say they're in league with the beast. And to get signed, they need to make a big impression with them, and they're going to have to butcher, bleach her, and the bassist Dirk's going to have to wear her face. Why do they have to bleach her? I don't know. I rewound it three times to make sure, I, I guess, to get DNA off. Eh? <laughs> but he says the last part was a lie because the bass player's flipping out because he has to wear her face. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's a nice guy and all, so he says they'll make a song about her. They recite the ritual that they found on the internet and prep to stab her with a gnarly Bowie knife. They make sure to point out until they break out into 8675309. <laughs> and it, it is so fucked up because he's saying the ritual and he's like, we here sacrifice. And he's like, shit, hold on. And he leans down and takes the gag out of her mouth. He's like, what the fuck was your name? Was it Tiffany? <laughs> she's, yes. like, and she's like, Jennifer. And he finishes the line in the ritual with Jennifer. And then he just starts singing. But yeah. he does it like he's talking to her with the verse. And then when he gets to the chorus, the whole band breaks in. And then he just starts fucking violently stabbing her to the song while they're singing it. Yeah. It's fucked up. Yeah, it goes from high tension to break the tension with the comedy to, oh, shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> These fucking monsters, man. Nobody wants to die that song. Obviously, the ritual fucked up, though, because she's not a virgin. Right? Like, they needed a pure virgin. And she had the whole bag of peas situation and whatnot. Yep. So that ain't happening here. She explains to Needy that she woke up. She should have been dead, but she was alive. And she needed Needy. She needed her friend, and she had to find her way to her. But when she got there, she was so fucking hungry, and the food wasn't working, and she was going to eat Needy. And she loved Needy, so she couldn't let that happen, and that's why she just split. So she's walking home from school, and she bumps into one of the kids from high school that they pointed out that was at the bar. And she starts talking to him, asking him, is, is he lost? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, have you talked to your family? And he's like, no. And she goes, nobody knows you're alive. <laughs> And she eats them. And that explains why she looked fine the next day at school. Because yeah. remember, she looked like she was dying when she's puking up the stuff and eating the fucking Boston Market or whatever out of the refrigerator. And then the next day at school, she looks like Captain the Cheerleading Team again, right? Yeah. Because she ate. But Jennifer lets Needy know that when she's full, she's strong and she's invincible. And she stabs herself in the arm and it instantly heals. And she says it's like some X-Men shit. <laughs> I love meta references. They're always a hit with me. But Needy catches on to the win full part. And she's like, but what about the times you don't look human? And she's starting to catch on, right? That she's like eating people regularly to, to fix this. Yeah. And I mean, she looks like she's going to narc her out, right? And I think she actually says that you're going to narc me out, Needy. And Jennifer explains how she could say that Needy was disturbed and depressed and imagining shit. And then she just randomly like suicide drops out of the window and vanishes like a fucking vampire. She's very vampire like it, isn't she? Uh-huh. But the next day, we cut to Colin's funeral, and this whole scene is a trip. His goth buddies or D&D group or whatever the fuck they are <laughs> says some fucked up crazy emo shit. The mom goes ape shit on him and talks about a shit uh, identify his body that looked like lasagna with teeth attached to it and that the kids are fucking idiots. She lets the kids know she has the monopoly on pain. But it kind of time lapses a bit again after the funeral, and we see the school prepping for their Through the Trees formal. Right, because everything's based off the song now. It's the anthem. And the news is talking about another student dying to the cannibal serial killer. Not Trash Pandas, once again. Needy does some paranormal research in the occult section of their school, which is apparently very small, she says, and figures out that Jennifer is a demon because of demonic transference that happens when an impure sacrifice is used in a ritual. The demon now lives in her soul, and they must forever feed together on flesh. She finds out that a blade to the heart when the demon is hungry is the only way to kill it. Needy and Jennifer basically haven't talked this whole time ever since the, the argument in her room. And 
Needy tries to explain everything to Chip. And I love this part. I think it was even on the trailer when she's like, Jennifer's evil. And, I, and he's like, oh, I know. And she's like, not high school evil, right? <laughs> yeah. Actual evil. But she explains that that's why she gets ugly all the time. It's because she has to feed. And Chip sort of thinks she's just fucking crazy and jealous, right? Like, what do you mean ugly? You know, and stuff like that. Because I don't think anybody is really ever seeing her in the I need to feed phase. Yeah. Because, you know, she's time of her life in high school. And, and then she goes and eats somebody when she has to. But she lets him know that she can't go to the dance with him. And she wants him to stay home. Because she has to go there just to keep an eye on Jennifer because it's going to be an all-you-can-eat buffet for her. And they basically break up. And this is the part where we dive into the third act of the film. And like most horror movies, this is my favorite part of the movie. Because like from here on, it just goes, right? Yes, and we're going to get my favorite fucking shot of the movie in this. The kids around town prep for the dance, including our main cast. Chip's mom gives Chip some ladies pepper spray to protect himself. <laughs> Because apparently his workout on the Bowflex isn't going to be enough to protect him. That's what he says. I don't need that, Mom. I've been working on the Bowflex. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? And uh, he's like truly the most innocent one in the movie, right? But when we see Jennifer getting ready, we see that she looks very ill again. She honestly looks flu-stricken. And we see that her hair is like coming out by the handfuls at this point, right? So it's time to eat. But if you look, Jennifer starts crying right here like she's like really upset and sad and putting on her makeup and i don't think it's because she looks ugly and her hair's falling out i think it's i i think she's torn by the having to go and eat people really i think so that's what i got out of it because it's her soul and the demons like stuck in her soul so she's still battling the inner demon basically right i mean because she looks like fucking distraught and we don't know what else cut there's eight minutes this movie cut out so yeah it makes me wonder how much of it the, the, the reason i was saying that is like she seems so bitchy that like she seems her character seems like the type that would just welcome in the demon and not have that streak of conscience. We'll have to check when we get near the end of the movie. I feel like there's another part of the conversation in the pool house that kind of relates back to her not wanting to do this shit. Okay. I might be wrong. But we'll just check. <laughs> but we cut to the dance and these fucking emo goth kids. <laughs> I don't know what all they say, but it's just fucking great. Like they just come in bitching and moaning about, just everything. Fucking and conformist. Basically, right? <laughs> and uh, we see Needy's there in her ridiculous John Hughes 80s era prom dress. <laughs> looking out for Jennifer, but no dice, right? We see Chip walking to the dance, and he's stopped by Jennifer on the way to the dance. And it's a really cool shot of him walking, and she's off in the distance. Creeping up behind him, but pretty far away. And then you just hear a voice say, like, Chip. And he turns around and she fucking appears on the other side of him. I love all of those shots. Again, vampire. <laughs> but basically, Jennifer is acting like she's worried about Needy and that she needs to talk to him about it, right? So she's trying to lure him away on, on some common ground because they were all friends. Like, they specifically say that in the open in your book scene that all three of them are friends and grew up together, right? Yeah. But Jennifer makes Chip think that Needy had a thing with Colin and that they were having sex and that Chip wasn't actually her first. And that's why she's acting the way she is and breaking up and this is making him hopeless right and making it easier for her to seduce him and this whole scene is intercut with the dance where jk simmons announces that low shoulder showed up as a surprise for a free show oh on boy a, on a break from their sold out tour and they play the same song the through the tree song i do want to point out that like they all look like traditional commercial rock stars now their yeah. outfits and the song's more produced yeah like the beginning of the movie it sounds like an indie band playing it and then like there's more guitar riffs and they're better at their instruments and it's got like extra effects on it and shit it's it, you know they sold their sold the devil and now they're the rock stars right i really like they transition the song yeah but as the band's rocking out we see jennifer and chip making out yeah we do 
But we can see that Needy can sense this at the dance that Chip and Jennifer are making out. I don't know if they really actually explain their link. I guess it's the blood thing from the sandbox. One of them cuts their hand when they're kids in the sandbox. I think it's Needy. And then Jennifer like sucks the blood off and says it'll make her better. And I don't know if like that made them have like a weird link or if it's just like a love for each other sex thing. I don't know. I really wish I'd watched this movie more than once. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good movie, man. But anyways, we, we see Needy run out of the dance and she just bolts to Chip's house to check on him and finds out that he's gone. And his mom lets her know that he usually cuts to the park to go to the school and Needy just books it that direction, right? We see Jennifer take Chip down into like a rundown community center or something that has this nasty ass fucking swamp infested pool, right? And we cut between Needy trying to run there in slow-mo while Jennifer in normal speed is beating the shit out of Chip in the pool. And Needy arrives too late and walks in on demonic Jennifer eating Chip, right? She's like eating his shoulder and neck, right? Yep. And Needy says a prayer and jumps into the pool to fight Jennifer. Can't you patron saint of all causes? Please give me the power to crush this bitch. Chip's still alive in the background, but we can see that he's bleeding out. And he chunks the Lady Pepper spray to Needy as Jennifer approaches Jaws style. It's very much reminiscent of Jaws. It had to be done that way. And as she bursts out of the water, Needy sprays the pepper spray in her mouth. And she starts coughing and like pukes up some more of that black shit all over him, right? And then she floats out of the pool. Yeah, I love that shot of her just shooting straight up out of the water. It looks fucking awesome. Honestly, it's one of my favorite shots too. And and just the whole bickering between Needy and Jennifer there just to just really show how their dynamic works even further, right? Yeah. But as they're bickering, Needy wants to know why Jennifer is always so jealous of her. And Megan Fox delivers possibly my favorite line in the movie at this point. I am going to eat your soul and shit and it's just the way she fucking yells at her and delivers it's fantastic. But Needy says to her, I, I thought you only murdered boys. And Jennifer says she goes both ways now, right? <laughs> and as Jennifer charges for Needy, she's impaled by Chip with a fucking pool tool thing. Was it called like a skimmer or whatever? Yeah, something. <laughs> and she's bleeding out and asks Needy if she has a tampon because she looks like she might be plugging. <laughs> just like another fuck you to Needy, right? And then she just like leaps out the window. It's probably my second favorite line from Jennifer in the movie, like right there. And Needy tries to call for help, but the cell phone doesn't work. I'm assuming because it was in a fucking swamp and Chip dies in her arms. But we cut to Needy laying nasty in bed, covered in blood, swamp ick, terrible prom dress and uh, crying. (laughs) Terrible prom dress. (laughs) She comes up with a plan to get Jennifer and dresses for battle. This is the opening scene with Jennifer we saw, right? Like she's watching TV. Okay. We see that she's looking at the yearbook and circling boys like a teenage girl normally would. But instead of writing hot, she writes yum next to him. (laughs) (laughs) And we see Needy pop up in the window, just like the beginning. I noticed that Jennifer looks rough here. We said that at the very beginning of the movie. And she just ate, right? She ate Chip. I guess she didn't fully eat him, but I'm assuming healing her wounds like takes her power. Kind of like a vampire. Is she a vampire? Doesn't she even make a comment about how... No, I don't know if I remember. But Needy smashes through the window and attacks Jennifer, who manages to get a bite in on her her shoulder, I think. Somewhere she bites her. Yeah. And (laughs) Needy pulls out a utility knife and lets Jennifer know that it's made for cutting boxes. (laughs) Yes. And Jennifer has some line about her being butch and asking her if she gets all of her uh, murder weapons from Home Depot. (laughs) I fucking love that whole thing. Their bickering is fantastic. 
But Needy says, cross out Jennifer and cuts an X on her stomach because every time Jennifer would ask her something throughout the movie, like ditch, chipped, hang out with me, she'd go, cross out Needy. Right? So she crosses uh, out Jennifer. But then Jennifer floats them up in the air. And th- this is another one of the scenes that looks fucking badass to me, like the pole one where they're floating. And they start to wrestle until Needy rips off the BFF necklace that they both have off of Jennifer's neck. And I don't know, Jennifer just looks sad all of a sudden. Yeah. Like she just doesn't give a fuck anymore and just falls to the bed. And I, I love the shot because she's falling in slow-mo and Needy's falling in slow-mo with the box cutter and plunges it right near her tit. I mean, her heart. Oh, okay. No, I think Jennifer goes, oh, my tit. Like I, right as she stabs I her. I think you're right. And uh, as Jennifer's dying, her mom walks into the room and just sees Needy sitting over her body with a fucking utility knife. Clearly, Needy's the town murderer. She's a fucking cannibal murderer. Exactly. We cut to Needy in the solitary cell from the beginning and find out that she absorbed demon abilities from the bite Jennifer gave her. Are we sure she's not a vampire? (laughs) What the fuck? I mean, you tell me. (laughs) But she was sitting Indian style. And as the camera pulls out, she's not just sitting Indian style. She's sitting Indian style 20 feet in the fucking air. Right. There's like a window at the top of the cell. Like Zool and shit. But she breaks out of the asylum, whoops a fence's ass, and uh, somehow finds the place where the whirlpool drains, because the gnarly Bowie knife's on the ground with the GPS balls, right? Yep. I don't know if they're called GPS balls. I'm not a scientist, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. I think they do a lot more than positioning, but yeah. (laughs) But Needy starts hitchhiking, and she's picked up by Lance motherfucking Hendrickson, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) And he asks her where she's headed to, and she says she's following a rock band, and that tonight's going to be their last show. (laughs) I love that part. The camera pans out, and we see them drive away from an actual low shoulder sign on the side of the interstate. And, and that's when Josh understood the name of the band. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> no, it was it was when they played at the school. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. And uh, we get the best use of Holes Violet ever. Credits. The credits actually start, and we see clips of the band with groupies getting ready for a show, playing a show, and then we see them trashing their hotel party like any douchebag pop rock stars. And they're doing a bunch of blow, right? Until Needy shows up and murders all of them. We see the police going through the crime scene as we uh, hear a different low shoulder song playing. And if you listen to the words, that must be the one they wrote about Jennifer. Oh, okay. And then we see the security footage of the fans storming the hallway to see if the band's really dead as Needy leaves in a hoodie. Final credits end a movie. I felt the band murder during the credits felt rushed. I like the way they did it, actually, how it was a series of photos or whatever. I was okay with that. It still just felt rush to me well i think it's because that wasn't really the point of the movie like we had already had our final scene we didn't need to see 15 minutes and needy stalking the band and then slowly killing yeah, them yeah i'm with you on that we got the we got the confrontation between needy and and jennifer and we found out that she's a demon now and she fucking basically it turned into like a revenge movie at the very end needy went and got revenge and i really like that I know we made vampire jokes a lot, but I think she was supposed to be based off of a succubus. Yeah. Like, I read that a good bit, but when Needy's going through the occult books, she sees, like, succubus, and she's like, no, and she keeps flipping. Oh. But I think, doesn't succubus actually, like, drain your soul? Depends on what you read. Different translations of old legends, they drain your soul, but there's also things about, I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to be vulgar here, but, like, draining their seed, which that's not what Jennifer's doing. She's not having sex with them. She's just fucking straight up drinking their blood and eating their organs. Yeah. It almost looks like she's drinking their blood. She's a fucking vampire, dude. Yeah. 
I always say this is like, I classify this as a slasher movie and I love it, but it, it, maybe it's a vampire slasher movie. It may be. This is funny because yeah, like you're discovering the vampire element and I'm discovering that the there's this deeper subplot between the two girls. The movie, I mean, it was supposed to, it was written and directed by females and it was supposed to be like a coming of age story for girls. And it's often, I saw on the internet, it's very regularly compared to Ginger Snaps, which is funny because ginger snaps didn't work for me <laughs> and this is in at least my top 20 favorite movies this and i've been wanting to cover this one almost i mean i started talking about this movie one of the first couple of episodes to yeah, you, right you're, you're like i've never seen it yeah you're telling me scenes from it and i'm like what fucking movie you're talking about you're like jennifer's body i'm like what the fuck is that and you're like that megan fox movie and i'm like that's why i haven't watched it <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's got really creepy shots in it because she got like the her appearing around people there's, I don't remember if it's a dream sequence or what, but like when <laughs> Needy sees Jennifer like squatting on on the top back of a chair with like her demon teeth out and she's like bent up unnaturally. Yeah, like a bleeding. gargoyle and shit. Yeah, like that's fucked up. Uh, just the right amount of gore in some of the scenes. I mean, even the scene where she kills Colin, it's a shadow. Yeah. Like I actually would have preferred the shadow than like just seeing him get disemboweled. Like I felt like it really had a lot of cool horror elements thrown into it and then i love my like quips and one-liners in any movie so those yeah. are on point and adam brody i don't know the just being the douchebag fucking rock star character that he was the whole movie was just i don't know i loved all of it it worked for me yeah absolutely love him as the douchebag i really can't see other people in a lot of these roles and honestly amanda seyfried is the one that ended up getting super famous i feel like out all this okay not from this movie specifically i mean she was on like big love on hbo and she's been in so many fucking movies but I don't know. It was just kind of interesting. It sucks that Diablo Cody hasn't been able to make like a blockbuster movie since then. Um, I want to see The Invitation, the other horror movie that Karen directed. Okay. And I've had it recommended to me by several people. So I'd seriously have to ask the wife if I've seen it. You might have. You know. <laughs> but it, it'd be interesting to check it out. And I mean, I, like I said, I've been talking about this movie for like 30 something episodes to Josh <laughs> off air. And I'm glad I finally got to cover it because this is one of them that I regularly watch every year. But now that I've gone from like a comedy demon movie, we got to go into one a little bit more serious as Josh covers 2005's Constantine. So I can remember going to see this movie in theaters, the theater with you. Oh, yeah. I drug you to anything that had some sort of comic book reference to it. <laughs> and I walked out. I have no figures on this movie. I remember walking out and smarting off like I just watched a $20 million anti-smoking fucking commercial that's, <laughs> at the time. That's how much it pissed me off. But it was one of the early DVDs that I bought and the whole idea of heaven and hell existing right here, just on another plane on right. the other side of the veil fucking love the whole perpetual nuclear blast thing, which I'll get into <laughs> when we get to it. Genius. But anyways, okay, so let's get into this. I got some shit for the beginning, but you know how I always roll. So directed by uh, Francis Lawrence and written by Kevin Broadbin, Broadbin, I may be saying that wrong, I don't know, and Frank A. Capello. Uh, of course, we got Keanu Reeves, who's been in a couple of movies before and after this, <laughs> as John Constantine, and we've got Rachel Weisz, Wow. As Angela and Isabel, this and the Mummy movies are what I always come back to. We've got Shia LaBeouf as Chaz Kramer. I'm saying that with air quotes. <laughs> and then we've got fucking Tilda Swinton as mm. Gabriel, which how that came to be. I've got my notes as well. Um, Peter Stormare again. Yes. Let's make a comeback as Satan. Now, the cool things on this is we've got makeup and special effects by Stan Winston Studio. Really? Yes. And then we've got visual effects by Tippett Studio. And I know 
Tippett studio as Tippett. And I had to go back and look up the guy's name because I completely forgot it, which is Phil Tippett, which just I marked a few things out of like his like 60 fucking credits. But what's interesting is who he usually works with. So Howard the Duck with Industrial Light and Magic, Willow with Industrial Light and Magic, <laughs> Ghostbusters 2 with Industrial Light and Magic, <laughs> Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Jurassic Park with Industrial Light and Magic. I was, ah, yeah, it's a reoccurring theme. But uh, a couple more here Starship Troopers, Armageddon, um, Drag Me to Hell, Horns, Jurassic World, Star Wars, The Force Awakens, and Solo, a Star Wars story. I don't know. It's just crazy to me because I don't like the CGI in this movie. I, I just don't think it looks looks good. I know you said it's 2005, but I, I thought I remembered not liking the CGI in 2005. Like I would say, Starship Troopers special effects destroy the the special effects. In this and that might that was before. That was the 90s, wasn't it? Starship Troopers. Yeah. Hang on, I have to have that. <laughs> 97, but the only. Most of that was you had models of the bugs, a few bug CGI scenes, and like the shooting shit in space scenes, and that was it. The rest of oh, it I was just, I figured most of the bug aliens were CGI, were they not? Depending on how they were moving, but a lot of the the wide shots of it and shit, absolutely. I mean, and maybe it's not even a shitty CGI thing. Maybe I don't like the art style. I was like to say, you may not like, because it has a very unique color palette. It has a very unique... That might actually be Universe what I, I mean, I feel in. bad hating on it because I actually, I love this fucking movie. Honestly, I would say this is the worst comic book adaptation in history. That's an awesome movie because <laughs> I love the movie by <laughs> itself. It's I don't like it so much as a, as the comic book adaptation, but uh, yeah, maybe it's just the art style. I don't like the way the soldier demons look. I don't like the way Gavin Rosdell's I don't know where the fuck's happening to him after the mirror bubbles for some reason, you know, and it's, it's, I'm going to, I'll be quiet. Let's just roll with it, Josh. <laughs> so of course we got to talk about Constantine. So, you know, the, the character and, you know, Hellblazer was created by Alan Moore. Um, the character first appeared in Swamp Thing 37 before we even got off into Hellblazer. And once Hellblazer was launched, it was at the beginning or near the beginning of Vertigo when it was actually being spun up. The director, Francis Lawrence, right? This was his first movie. Oh, okay. That's impressive, actually. Well, he had done a laundry list of music videos before this, but that's all he had done. His very first music video was Bad Religion's 10 and 2010. <laughs> that's fucking hilarious. That is just great. Um, when they brought Keanu in, he met with the director right after from coming back from filming the Matrix sequels, which is going to be funny when we talk about something at the end of this movie i hadn't seen this movie in i don't know a few years and i watched it for the podcast and uh you're gonna have to forgive me by the way i had a crying baby in my lap and my wife asked me things when i watched it but anyways <laughs> I, I i didn't feel like looking at the years i was being lazy on like when it fell in with the matrix but i was just like looking at how young keanu reeves looked in the movie and i was like he looks like the first matrix movie because yes. he always looks like a baby he looks younger than me in the first matrix movie that he does bill and ted i say that right now because i haven't seen bill and ted in a while but just thinking of him as John Wick. No, I, I you know what I mean. Yes, and I get where you're coming from. Like the baby face and the short hair and the. <laughs> um, it goes without saying that John Constantine should have been blonde and British if we were going to stick right. with the comics. You mean Matt Ryan should have played him, and that's from that's from uh, the Constantine show that was on NBC that got canceled that I liked, and then they somehow CW talked NBC and given the rights uh, for him to be. 
in Legends of Tomorrow and shit. I don't know. He's he's the perfect Hellblazer. Um, <laughs> I really like this movie, and I like Keanu in this movie, but for comic book accuracy, it will always be Matt Ryan. If they make a new Constantine movie, yeah, hopefully they use him again, too. But, like, they're different characters. I mean, it, you know what I mean? We'll get to that later. Okay. Um, I have to fit this in here. Keanu the Cat. That movie. George okay. Hill. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, when they were working on that movie, now a lot of this is going to come from an interview the LA Times did with the director. Anyways, um, when the guys were writing the movie they were actually thinking of Keanu Reeves. Like that's, they've admitted that's where they got the name from for the cat. And uh, I was like, it'd be cool to have him do this. And then John wick happened and it was like, Oh shit, this whole movie <laughs> is about the pet. And then the pet being the trigger for all right. these events to unfold, just like John wick. Now it seems like a slap in the face. So what happened was they did want Keanu Reeves to play a role in that movie. Okay. And they reached out to him and got told he's not interested. Now, they don't know if that's just an agent or if it actually made it to him, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. So he wasn't involved. So Keanu Reeves' sister ends up seeing the trailer for the movie. Okay. And calls up Keanu Reeves and is like, how the fuck do you not have something to do with this movie? <laughs> and tells him what she's seeing in the trailer. And he's like, oh, my God, I have to do something with this movie reaches back out to them and that's how we actually ended up with him doing the voiceover of the cat during the acid trip okay i haven't seen the movie but that's interesting it's so cool because like i knew none of this and when i was watching keanu i'm like pissed off like man keanu reeves should have been in here somehow that that's fucking same spelling and everything blah 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 and it gets to this acid trip scene where the cat starts talking okay and it's keanu reeves <laughs> that's awesome um the director wanted tilda swinton for Gabriel right out the gate. Okay. And was so scared he couldn't get her because a, as he referred to her, she was an indie darling. There's no way she's going to want to be in my little movie and made sure he had all the rest of the big name actors in place first and then reached out to her. Okay. <laughs> and you know, it was like, oh, okay, cool. I'm like, Oh, we're so worried about being able to get her. And she's like, yeah, I'm down. I mean, she seems to me like one of those actresses that will do anything that seems interesting. Yeah. And the fact she gets to play the Archangel Gabriel, which is a dude. Really, she looks perfect, or she could have been David Bowie. It, it could have gone either way. But uh, no, she was fucking awesome in the movie. And, and uh, honestly, like I said, I think she just willing to do anything that sounds different and interesting. So, and uh, the the last little bit of behind the scenes stuff here is in watching the making of everything. This is one of the first movies that I can recall seeing a director editing on set, okay. to where they actually had a full digital rig there, and he would have the editor cutting shit during the shoot and reshoot as needed to make sure that he was getting everything, but he was used to doing music videos. So he's used to having no budget and cramming a lot in and said that, uh, the first two days into shooting, they were actually on schedule. Okay. And then the studios calling, wanting to know, cause that, like that never happens. Like, where are we? And it's like, okay, we're already a week in like, what do you mean? We're already a week in. You're like, you should be like halfway through the first day and like, no, we're going that fast according to him. So anyways, so the film opens up with like the Warner Brothers logo and the Vertigo Comics logo being blown away in the perpetual fucking right. nuclear blast, which is just always cool. We see these two guys digging around. We get a little pop up saying that it's in Mexico. And one of the guys finds this blade wrapped in a Nazi flag and he starts walking away with it. And out of nowhere, he gets hit by this car. <laughs> And we see this mark appear on his wrist in the hand that's holding uh, of the arm of the hand that's holding this blade. And uh, he just runs away. That car shot, all practical. That's awesome. They, the, 
hit a pole or something? Uh, no, they had, it was an implosion rig. Okay. They ran the car and it imploded on itself. Because I was about to comment, you're like, he gets hit by a car and it's like, it really looks like he hit the fucking car because the car just fucking smashes on him, right? Nightmare fuck five whichever one the dream child is where they get stuck in the loop and and uh dan thinks he runs the truck into freddy krueger yeah so reminds me of that but this was done phenomenally um so we get our title card and uh we we cut to this woman finding her daughter very possessed yes on the ceiling very possessed and we see father hennessy who brings in constantine and uh so constantine goes into the girl ties her down on the bed and introduces himself to the demon. This is Constantine. John Constantine. And he thinks it's been a run of the mill exorcism. Even when he goes in, he puts his fucking cigarette on the the nightstand or whatever. Like this is going to be a couple minutes. I'll get my cigarette back. I do want to say, I really like the, uh, when he, when he, you know, pulls up the shade and the sun comes up and he's pulling out the different holy symbols until he finds one that hurts the demon. Yeah. That reminds me of like in the mummy when that one dude's pulling out his charms. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. No, not doing the different prayers and shit. <laughs> but uh, this doesn't work. He can see that there's like literally see that there's still something inside this girl. And uh, he has some of the residents rig up this mirror up over the bed and down below tells Chaz to move the car (laughs) and he calls the demon out gets it trapped in the mirror pulls on the cable flings this giant ass mirror out the window and it falls and crashes on Chaz's taxi below and the scene's just so well done because I like how the demon's got the I'm so pretty face like the possessed girl yes and then I like how it transfers the demon in the mirror like just the whole idea that and I also like that they couldn't get the mirror out the window that's too fucking big and the demon's like punching out yes the whole thing is awesome yeah awesome opening to a movie to let you know what you're getting into so as Constantine goes to leave he sees a drawing of this blade up on like this wall and he also borrows Hennessy's necklace which is a uh, Celtic uh, Trinity not well the reason why he bars it though is because he's psychic in some way right Tennessee is yes. and I guess the charm helps protect him from the voices and he takes the necklace from him because he needs him to like listen in right yeah he fucked that man basically oh yeah he did so we cut to Angela which is Rachel Weiss, and she's in confession because she's killed another one yep <laughs> how do i always know where to be but it's cool because she's a cop and she always knows where to aim and where to shoot but we get a quick cut to a woman in a hospital climbing to a roof and jumping to her death who's also rachel weiss yes we're gonna find out she's isabel and uh before she jumps she pulls off uh her medical hospital id thing i don't know if they got a name or whatever and she has the same mark on her wrist and it's uh Cedar Sinai Hospital is where they shot all that, if I, if I remember right from the commentary. It's just a lot of shit in Los Angeles is shot there. Oh, okay. okay. So <laughs> is this hospital from something? Should I know it? And uh, we get a quick cut to the next morning of Angela going to the scene. Meanwhile, John's going to the same hospital to find out he has lung cancer. And he's, I think he lights up a smoke as he's being told that it's terrible. Yeah. In the, in the hospital room. <laughs> yeah. He says something smart ass too. Cause I do want to say like Constantine in the comics and even on the CW and NBC shows is really cocky, but Keanu Reeves does it like a different way. He's more just like a confident asshole. 
I don't know how to explain it. Like, instead of just being, like, cocky and, and throwing jokes, he just doesn't give a shit. But I think he says something about, like, what, what are they going to do, kill me or something, you know? Yeah, I want to say that, like, from the reading, that because I know shit about the comics, but from what the reading that I was doing, like, the character's cockiness is more like, uh, oh, my God, what's the guy on uh, Supernatural? There's a lot of them. <sighs> I would say Spike on Buffy and Angel is based off of Constantine. Okay. It's going to bother me that I can't. Crowley, God damn it. That arrogant yeah. is what I was getting out of the reading. Um, I would say that's pretty accurate. <laughs> so we take Crowley and Spike, and that's more like, and he's reserved. But he does, he saves it for Keanu, at least, or how they did it in the movie. It's it's saved for key moments, usually just to be a dick towards Angelo. You're right, but what I was saying is, like, he does it. It's just, in, I, I honestly think it's an acting range thing. He couldn't really pull off the cocky arrogant things they just went with overconfidence okay like you know what i mean like it's a different side of the same coin kind of thing like you get the same way he still gets to say smart ass comments constantly but they're just like deadpan instead of being cocky jokes yeah so we quickly discover that isabel is angela's twin isabel being the one who jumped to her death and angela being the cop and uh we get this quick intercut of the man with the spear oh we don't know that yet the man with the blade Oh, come on. I knew it was spear destiny the first time I saw it. <laughs> uh, he jumps this fence, and as he's walking along, I don't know if it's like bison or what, but all these animals are just dropping dead as he walks <laughs> by. It's a fucking killer shot. Yeah, honestly, like I said, I hadn't seen this movie in a few years, and it was a lot more horror than I remembered it being going in. Yeah. I remembered it being more like action, comic booky, and it's really just a horror movie. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, we see Constantine back at home, and his buddy Beeman brings him some supplies, holy water, a screech beetle, dragon's breath, smokes, and most importantly, cough syrup. <laughs> Is this like some illegal in the States cough syrup? Or I, I, I wasn't sure. <laughs> That's what I th- I'm thinking he was getting the same shit that I was on last time we recorded. <laughs> <laughs> you mean Jordan Peele, not Demon's One. Yes. <laughs> and don't forget he gets Beeman the little cow noise toy yes the little like there's probably a name for those things that i don't know well, apparently i don't either so we're equal <laughs> so then constantine goes to see gabriel to try to buy some time based on the newly discovered news about the lung cancer and um during their conversation we learn a little bit more about his backstory you are going to die young because you smoked 30 cigarettes a day since you were 15 and you're going to go to hell because of the life you took. You're fucked. I do want to say I like this scene because him and Angela walk in at the same time. Yeah. And I don't remember somebody in the church stops them and he's like, first come, first serve or whatever. Yes. And she's like, oh, I see you're an asshole anywhere you're at. Because they both say I need to see him. But I really like she needs to see the priest. He needs to see Gabriel. So they weren't even there to see the same person. Yeah, because they had already run into each other when they were both at the hospital and he's in the elevator. And she's like, wait, wait, you're going down. And he's like, not if I can help it. And then right. just lets the doors close. <laughs> I do like the the way the wings pop out when you see the Constantine vision. Even though that bothers yeah. me in like every movie I see because the, the wings not tear through the clothes. Just ignore that. Yeah, it but just it bothers me. Well, it's going to come up later on, but it's when he's telling when it's when he's explaining it to Angela that it kind of shows flashbacks to those scenes, too. Yeah. So I'm that makes me a bit more OK with it. 
I mean, it bothers me on Supernatural when fucking Kaz has giant wings, and I mean, you don't yeah. actually see his wings or his shadow. Anyways. So we cut back to Hennessy, who, without his protection, can hear the voices, so he's got all these newspapers, and he's just feeling all over them, and we're hearing all the whispering and shit, and it's like he knows he's supposed to be looking for something, and he'll know it when he finds it. He eventually gets Isabel and grabs the article. Meanwhile, Angela is reviewing Isabel's, the security video from Isabel's suicide because she's adamant. She's like, there's no way Isabel would have killed herself. And that's why she was talking to the priest. And it's like, there's no way she did this. And it's like, her soul's damned. Sorry. Yeah. So we got this parallel story of two people trying to buy time and resolve. Ooh, I didn't even catch that. Nice. Look uh, at Josh going deep on a movie for once. (laughs) So she notices on the video that as Isabel tears and keep an eye on me because if i fuck up their names between angela and isabel (laughs) you made it through us so i know right as she rips the id off of her wrist she says constantine so back to john and his encounter with vermin man completely pointless scene in the movie um i wouldn't say completely pointless it's just to show that the demons are blatantly attacking him in the streets now right this is true but i think we could have just held with the i just pulled a soldier demon out of a little girl and it would have been enough and that was the argument for the makers okay so they wrote up the whole vermin man thing it was already in the script and when they started production they said that's getting cut we can't afford it and the crew's like well can we just have this i'm like fine the vermin man took over three years to do Oh, it was one of the first things started and one of the last things finished all the, the whole time the studio going, you don't need it. We're cutting it. We're cutting it. We're cutting it. So it's neat that that got done. There's thousands of animated elements just in right. Vermin Man. And it sucks because when you look at all the layers on the behind the scenes of what it took to make him, you see him so fast that you don't see all the detail in it. I mean, I've always noticed like where the snakes are and where the bugs are and where the crabs are. Because, I mean, I don't think the CGI is held up, but it was a really cool idea. And I I like the whole shot because like he's like trying to drink his cough syrup and he's coughing and he like falls over like tuberculous coughing. Hey, buddy, go to light. Yeah, and the crabs are crawling around him and shit, and I'm like, what the fuck is a crab doing there? It really just kind of breaks it, and it's a a cool fight. And I don't know, like, when when he gets hit by the bus and Constitute just, like, breaks breaks bad, stomping on the bugs and kicking the crabs and shit, having a hissy fit, I fucking love all of it. (laughs) I I like the scene being there. So with this shit that John has seen, he goes to see Papa Midnight, and Papa Midnight's in this club where you got to be at least in tune with some kind of psychic level just right. to get in because fucking security guards got a tarot. Well, it's, well, it's like a tarot card. Right. But it's got a drawing on the other side and you got to guess it. And Chaz is always wrong. Yeah. I, I fucking love that. Cause Chaz is like, he's a legend. I want to meet Papa midnight. And he's like, can I come with you, John? You can get in if, if you, you can, can get, get in. in. Right. And you can't get it. <laughs> but uh, of course the, the club is filled with half breeds and we find out that Papa midnight's like Switzerland. There's even a joke made about that yeah. later. So everybody can just congregate. He gives no power to one side or the other. He's just there. I don't know the comic book, so I don't know Papa Midnight's real purpose. Oh, he's perfect to be Papa Midnight. Can you explain the half-breed thing to me? Because I just don't get it. Okay, so later on in the movie, when when Constantine is kind of explaining everything to Angela, um, they are the quote-unquote influence peddlers in God and Satan's game. So they're never full-fledged angels and they're never full-fledged demons. Because angels and demons aren't supposed to cross over, right? Exactly. But, okay, so 
I, I mean, I got all that. I guess he just calls them half-breeds, right? They're not like humans that bred with a fucking angel. They're not Nephilim. No, right? they're not okay. Nephilim, but I think they are literally possessing some people. Like when we see the clerk that's the angel later on. And so stuff it's like, like an angel possessing a human body yes. in some way. Okay, okay. That makes more sense to me. It was just he kept calling them half-breeds, which immediately made me jump to Nephilim. And I don't know, I just kind of. No, and okay. I totally get where your brain went with that they do a shitty job of explaining what they are they just he's they're half breeds and i haven't read a hellblazer comic in forever but yeah i just i don't remember the angel demon thing necessarily being like a a primary plot device it's more like he was just fighting evil and using magic and yes satan is involved you know like i don't don't remember it like his i don't remember his whole thing being that like they're gonna stick so so he tells, you know, Midnight what he's been seeing. Like, you know, I just, you know, the other day I pulled a soldier demon out of a little girl and I just had a full-fledged demon attack me in the streets. But he does mention that uh, in their conversation, their back and forth, he does mention that uh, that Constantine's soul is the one that Satan would come up himself to collect. And Constantine's like, yeah, I heard that. Yeah. <laughs> so after seeing the video, Angela starts tracking down John. Now, when he leaves, well, before he leaves, uh, Balthazar is there, Gavin fucking Rosdale. And we've actually seen him earlier in the movie. He's uh, in a stairwell doing the coin thing yeah. backwards. Is that during the, the girl's possession thing? Is it that early in the It's not that early in the movie. I don't. I just remember he, you see Maybe him earlier in the movie because I totally forgot Gavin Rosdale was in the fucking movie <laughs> until I watched it yesterday. And I was like, what the fuck? I forgot about that. Because that's where he's got the real. Is that where he has the shitty line where he's like. Like, yeah, yeah, your soul, finger licking good. <laughs> or is that later on? <laughs> and that's, that's the, I think that's the fight. When they okay. actually fight. However, he's not a very good actor. He is not. But watching it yesterday after seeing Near Dark more recently, it made me think of uh, Bill Paxton in Near Dark when he's like drinking the blood. He says, finger licking finger good. good. So I wonder if it was like a throwback to that. Jesus Christ. I didn't run across that, but it could be. I'm real mad. Okay. I have the special edition like set. For this movie and then I had a standard edition set for this movie and uh, at some point uh, I lost one of the DVDs and the one that I lost is the one that has the commentary on it. Oh that sucks. And I remember watching the one with the commentary on it and it like really being one of those that goes into a lot of detail and it could have been on there. I don't know. But uh, we go back to what Angela's doing and Angela's tracking down John because of what she saw in the in the video and uh she thinks that she was brainwashed by a cult or something like that. Yeah. You, you travel in these cult occult circles, so maybe you can help me. And uh, he totally fucking refuses and she leaves. But then we see a lot of shadows of something flying by outside immediately afterwards. He's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, because this is the whole scene where he sits down and lights a cigarette and a spider crawls up on the table and he catches it under the cup and then blows smoke up under yeah. the cup to the spider. He's like, welcome to my world. And when she's leaving, she's like, you're an asshole and takes the cup off the spider. And just the whole setup between them, I don't, I could have done without it. I don't know if there's anything like if he's a womanizer in the comics or what, but. He fucks everything that moves. Both male and female? Yes. Okay. So he chases her down and he's like, so what if I told you that God and Satan made a wager? All the souls on earth. Like, what the fuck? And he kind of goes through the whole thing that, you know, it's, it's a game between God and Satan and that influence is the only power that's allowed. And he goes into more detail later. But uh, as they're having this conversation, lights start to flicker off. She's like, what's that sound? He's like, wings. 
maybe talons. <laughs> and uh, he's like, you might want to look away. She's like, what is it? And doesn't want to look away. He's like, well, suit yourself. And he lights his wrist on fire. And from the light that burst forth from that for some kind of power that's never explained. It's the it's a piece of Moses's robe. Okay. So he has like magical artifacts and shit that he uses. And the, I don't remember where I read it, but I, I read this like three or four days ago. The director actually, every relic that he had, he came up with the relic. Like there's actually a story on all the relics. They just don't get mentioned. But he pulls a piece of cloth out and wraps it around his hand. It's supposed to be the robe of Moses. So it's okay. like a holy relic and he lights it. And like everything that he uses has some sort of backstory. They just didn't go into it, but he took the time to do it. Okay. Either the writer or director, one of them. I did read that Keanu Reeves bought the shotgun prop for the director and gave it to him. Oh, really? Yeah. Like after the shot. Yeah. Because there's a whole story behind the construction of that thing. Um, But in this burst of light, we see these winged demons that don't have legs. And (laughs) they're, when they were designing them, there's a name they gave them. I forget what it is. And, um, the, one of the uh, the artists was talking about being in a dinner party where they were given wine glasses that had stems and no base. Okay. And it was like, you can't set this down. You have to drink this. And that's what he thought of when they were creating these creatures. It's like, these creatures are so damned, they're winged, but they can never land. <laughs> so they never get to sleep. They never get to stop. They always have to stay in flight because they have nothing to stand on. I hate that I didn't catch that they didn't have legs ever. <laughs> I never caught it until watching the behind the scenes and the guy brought it up because they show a lot of still shots and slow motion shots of the animation. And there's so much going on that I, it, it happens so quick when they all burst yeah. into flames. Fucking phenomenal shot. But in all this, he dispatches the flying demons. And uh, now that Angela's seen this and smelt the sulfur, <laughs> she believes um, as far as his whole God and Satan wagering for souls. I'd fucking think so. Now, every time I've seen the movie, <laughs> in, <laughs> I'm just serious. She just saw some shit, man. She did. <laughs> but every time I've seen the movie, including the first time in theaters and even watching it yesterday, when she's backing up to the Statue of Mary with her arms open, I'm waiting for it to grab her. <laughs> Not Every that kind of horror movie. Fucking time, and it never does. I, I shit you not. Yesterday, I was just, I was like, I can't remember. Does the statue move? Does the statue move? And I don't know. It was because it's it's very obviously put behind. Oh him. yeah. And I think it's just if you notice, it's the last lights that go out. Yep. And it's like it it was harder for them to take out the, those, right? Yes. But with her now believing, John also agrees to see if Isabel is actually in hell. And this comes to my favorite part of the movie. Well, at first watch, my favorite part of the movie. So they go back to her apartment and they're kind of talking and she's putting water in a pot. And it's like, does it need to be hot or cold? And he's like, doesn't matter. It's like, is this her cat? She's like, yeah. And I was like, hmm. He's just looking at the cat. She's like, is that good? And he's like, yeah, halfway in, halfway out. And he sits down and he puts his bare feet in this pot of water and he's got Isabel's cat sitting in his lap and he's like rubbing the face, staring at the eyes. and. Coming out of the movie, I'm like, thank God this movie showed that cats are evil as shit. They're a portal to hell. <laughs> Just like the Mary statue, I always wait on him to pop the cat's neck. Like, you know, like you had to sacrifice it to transition. So he's like, I need you to leave. And she walks out of the room and he's like, the apartment. <laughs> She's just rolling her eyes too, like, fuck you. Yeah. And so as she goes out, time fucking slows down. And the way they do this that, you know, a second on earth is an eternity in hell type yeah. thing. Um, Cause like her hair's flowing and everything. And I think the chain on the door is swinging and all this shit. And all of a sudden John's in hell. I love hell in this movie. The, 
I was watching an interview with one of the, the visual effects artists is like, so they told me to create hell. I have to decide what hell would look like. I'm a Jew. I don't even believe in hell. <laughs> How am I supposed to figure this out? But he was the, I, I should have noted his name. He was the guy that came up with the perpetual nuclear blast idea, which is God, I yes. love that. And, but we do see just below the street as John's walking, you know, a pit of, of people being tormented and whatnot. So yeah. we've still got that going on. I, uh, this is going back on a 15 fucking year old memory, but okay. you remember like HBO or whatever would do like the, when a movie is about to come out, they'd have like a little behind the scenes things they'd put after credits. Yeah. I remember watching one for this movie and I remember them talking, I don't know if it was the director or the special effects guy, but he specifically picked the highway. Cause like what's more hell than being stuck on the interstate yes. in Los Angeles. It's the special effects. It's the same guy I was just yeah, talking okay, about. Okay. I mean, I saw this like 15 years ago, but I remember saying what's, what's more hell than being stuck in a traffic jam in LA on the interstate. Right. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> So as he's walking along, we see several of the uh, the little soldier demons kind of wandering around. The one in the car that you see from like three different angles yeah. before uh, it crawls out and starts following behind him, all the shots of it in the car are all Stan Winston puppet. That, oh, okay. That one I know for sure. I don't know how many of the other ones, but that one definitely. Um, but maybe it's just the art style that I didn't really get behind. And I can I could see that. And back in the day I was mad about how dirty it was, how much dust was flying. And I thought that that was just their way of hiding shit that they didn't know how to animate detail okay. shit. So they just covered it. And then watching the like 18 layers of shit that they built and why they added that in and like all the dust particles and like groundbreaking particle physics that they were doing <laughs> at the time was like, Holy shit. Y'all went all in on this. But, um, he eventually, there's this cool scene where he's like running up these cars to try to get Isabel's fucking ID. Right. Cause he sees her in hell and she throws it. And I love the scene. Cause it's like in slow and he, he's got to get out. So he's got like a, they don't really explain what it is, but I'm assuming holy water and a what, glass orb. Uh, when Beeman gives it to him, it's, it's holy water ampers from the holy waters from the river Jordan. Yeah. And he has to like smash that on his chest or whatever. So it's him diving through the air getting grabbed by the demon, snatching the bracelet and smashing the, the water ampule on his chest. It's, it's fucking awesome. Yes. And as soon as he does that, it cuts back to Angela shutting the door. So this has all happened in an instant. She opens the door right back up and he's all huddled over and fucking smoke coming off of him. And I think that's when he says you were twins yeah, or yeah. something like that. So cool. I do want to say, I don't want to go in a whole like comic book movie thing right, right here, but in the movie, you know, he's, he's psychic. He's, like, born psychic, and he can just see shit differently. And in the okay. comic book, he's, like, a warlock or whatever. Very heavily into magic and the dark arts. So they don't really explain, like, I don't understand why he's psychic. He can just pop in hell by putting his feet in water and holding a cat. Yeah. Versus why they didn't just stick with the magic angle and have him do a, a ritual or a spell or something. Yeah, this is another one of those times where, like, two sentences of exposition could have covered it. Because, I mean, he literally just sits in a chair, puts his feet in water, holds a cat, and he's in hell. Yeah. And Cats honestly, I don't think the water had anything to do necessarily with, with getting him there. I think it's so he wouldn't cook or burn or whatever, That's right? A, I think the water was just to cool his feet off when he came back, in all seriousness. Yeah, yeah. Plus, so. it's the the conduit for all. Because I don't feel like the being psychic and being able to see the the through the veil or whatever really explains a lot of the other shit. And he still has some relics and shit, right? So, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. So meanwhile, Hennessy goes to the morgue and um, he goes and basically lays hands on uh, the corpse of Isabel, I guess, to get a read on what happened to her. 
And as he grabs her arm, the symbol appears on her wrist again. And we hear like screeching and voices and stuff. And whatever it is, it freaks him the fuck out. And he, he drop. I want to say he drops down on the ground. He whips out his flask and he's drinking, but it's fucking empty. Yeah, because he said something earlier about the, the booze keeping the voices out, right? Yes. Um, so he runs to the closest convenience store and I absolutely love this scene because this man is on a mission and he's grabbing <laughs> bottles and like just straight up breaking the tops off. But everything, I mean, he unscrews the first few. Everything yeah, he's he like, what up, the fuck's wrong with this store? <laughs> it's like the, the cup you would get in the magic kit. That yeah. when, you, when you go to pour it out, there's nothing there. And that's what keeps happening to I him. I love this whole scene. And he ends up grabbing a corkscrew out of a off the counter and collapses and starts stabbing his hand. But he's drooling now and, and he's soaking wet at yes. this point. And it was intercut between him having bottles that wouldn't pour and other people seeing booze everywhere. Yes. So he was just fucking chugging that shit like a frat boy. At least he wasn't butt chugging. <sighs> 1,000 ways to die. So coming back from hell, we're, there's a little bit of jumping back and forth here. John tells Isabel, I need to eat. (laughs) So they go out for pancakes and he explains what happened in his childhood and that he grew up seeing things that no child should see. And we get a little flashback of an old lady turning into a screaming demon behind him. And uh, that as it got worse and he told his parents, the parents did what any parents would do. They made it worse. (laughs) You know, leading to hospitals and tests and medications and eventually. It looked like shock therapy. I was like, what the fuck <laughs> decade was this? Let's phlebotomize them while we're at it. And he eventually killed himself and he went to hell. And it was then that he found out that everything he had been seeing was real, but he was brought back. He's destined to go to hell in the movie because he's a suicide. But yeah. in the comics, he fucked up a exorcism and accidentally killed the girl. And nice. that's why he's damned to hell for fucking up the exorcism. Okay. Which is darker, I think. Did he turn the person into a demon like in uh, Jennifer's body? No. <laughs> so John also ends up explaining that, you know, the full details on the influencers with the bet between God and Satan and that there's this balance. That's when we see Balthazar doing the coin thing. He's in the... Uh, it's a flashback. Well, he's in the bar... No, and it's, it's the scene where Hennessy's dying. He's in the the gas station drinking yes. water, and we see the clerk protecting his body, and the angel wings pop out. Yes, yes. Sorry. I, I think that might actually be during all this, though, because he's explaining the influence. No, no, you're, you're exactly right about Balthazar being there, and it's showing the angel with the wings. Yes. I was, I was like, where wings. does he do the coin thing? But it's right there. Well, no, there's a thing where he's in a stairwell looking down the stairs. You're right. Yeah, yeah. I think that's in the hospital. Could be, could or be. I can't it, remember. Just because it would be in the stairwell, it's got to be the hospital or the apartment building. I don't. But yeah, yeah that, that's a very cool part because it might be when he's explaining. Is it the flashbacks? Because it shows his eyes red and then the angel with the wings protecting Hennessy's body. Yeah, yeah. That all happens right then when he's explaining. Okay. It's just a cool yes. scene. Because what's fixing to happen is Angela gets a call on the radio and it's about Hennessy and apparently they're very close by. Right. And uh, John goes in and fucks up the quote unquote crime scene. (laughs) (laughs) And the other cops like, what the fuck is he doing here? Like they all know him. This is that guy that fucks corpses. (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) 
just the way they're treating him. You know what I mean? Oh, like, okay. like they're responding to him like he's a leper or something or a corpse fucker. Or <laughs> that. And he takes a piece of ice to clean up the, the blood on uh, Hennessy's hand and pats it with a napkin to reveal this circle with a cross through it. So uh, Constantine's like, what the fuck's going on here? And it's like, he takes Angela back to Isabel's hospital room and is like, he's being real mean to her. He's like, she planned her death in this room. You two were twins. You grew up together. You finished each other's sentences. She would have left something behind. It's not something anyone else would notice, but something for you. And it gets so heated that she ends up collapsing on the windowsill and huffs. And then it all comes back to her. Well, we are girls. We would leave each other messages. And light. And breath. <laughs> now, the message is Corinthians 17.1. And Isabel's like, there is no 17th act <laughs> yeah. in Corinthians. And uh, Constantine's like, there is in the Bible in hell. <laughs> I love her. So, of course, there's a Bible in hell. That's what she says. <laughs> And uh, so they call Beeman and they got him on speakerphone in the SUV. So does Beeman live at the bowling alley or does Constantine or both? I think both. It's really confusing because like it's the little cow things are there. So that's definitely yeah. like his desk. But they would show the bowling alley when you'd see John up in, in the room of the shutters. and Yeah, stuff, he's so. upstairs. So Beeman lives down. Okay. Down. He's the pleep. And uh, Constantine's upstairs. <laughs> All I know is on this phone call, thank God Beeman took those community college art classes so he can draw this very detailed sketch that they're about to give him the information over the phone. Yes, the symbol is weak fucking sauce. <laughs> I mean, it's a circle with a cross in it, but like the way he's on the phone, he's like, uh-huh, uh, I think I got it. Yeah. And he's like fucking sketching it on a cocktail napkin. <laughs> Beam and draw a circle with an X on it and see if he can find it for Wait, me. Wait, like, like a Mercedes? No. <laughs> but uh, so Beeman tells him that it's the sign of Mamon or Mamon, however you want to pronounce it, the son of Satan. Beeman also explains to them Mamon would need the help of a powerful psychic and the help of God to pass over. And everybody's perplexed by this in yeah. the conversation, like fucking the help of God. Why would God help the son of Satan? So we just leave that there for now. So Beeman then suddenly has a fucking fly crawl up out of his eye. I hate it when that happens. <laughs> and uh, Angela and Constantine go and rush to the bowling alley and they find him just fucking fully engulfed in flies and they're like coming out of his fucking throat and shit. He is no more. So they're up in Constantine's apartment, like trying to regroup and Angela's going through this thing in her mind. And, uh, and she's like, you know, when we were younger, I used to see the same things that Isabel saw. And as she got older, you know, once again, parents make things worse. And when she saw her being institutionalized and put on medication and stuff, she's like, she used to tell me all the time, tell, tell them, Angela, tell them that you see them too. And I'm just like, uh-uh, <laughs> don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but she admits that, you know, she used to see the same things. So now she's had enough. She's like, she's, she's sitting here. She's like, you know, self-loathing over the whole thing with her sister and everything. And she tells Constantine, she's like, she wants to see what Isabel saw. And John's like, okay. Because basically they're like psychic like him and Hennessy and Beam and everybody are, right? Yeah, that's what we're slowly discovering. So <laughs> they're standing there next to this tub. And uh, she's like, so do I need to take the rest of my clothes off? 
And Constantine just stands there and kind of tilts his head a little bit. He's just looking at her body, tilts his head the other way. And she kind of giggles nervously and is like, John? And he's like, I'm thinking. <laughs> it's very constant. That is the most Constantine that Keanu Reeves was in the movie to me. And uh, he's like, shirt on or whatever. And uh, he drowns the shit out of her in the bathtub. <laughs> That's literally what happened. Yeah, because it's like, you're about to have to get a crash course. Her face is fucking priceless. Yeah, she is so great in that scene. And we get a drop of water falling that gives us our stop in time. And in a flash, and then the fucking tub explodes. And I haven't been able to find anything on this, but watch this. I think the stunt person literally gets their forehead bashed in by a hunk of that tub. Oh, really? Yeah, it, Seriously, like watch it in slow motion. It looks bad. So you're saying they like killed a guy and then sealed him in the wall to cover it up? Yes. So now that she's seen some shit, she takes some time to reflect. Now that we know she's full blown psychic, (laughs) (laughs) she uh, leads Constantine upstairs and she reaches down into the grate to grab one of Balthazar's coins. So this is when John kits up with the fucking, the holy hand grenade of Antioch version of a fucking shotgun. (laughs) (laughs) And the props crew actually took the time to develop, like you were saying with the Moses thing, a backstory for each element because we got the dragon's breath that we saw earlier. Nothing else about the gun is explained, but (laughs) he builds all these separate pieces. So Keanu Reeves actually bought the prop for the director. That is awesome. So they head to confront Balthazar and uh, downstairs in the parking garage, he gives or John gives uh, Angela the amulet of Hennessy's and it's like, you girl, stay in car, man, go inside. (laughs) (laughs) She gets so pissy about it, too. She's like, girl, stay in the car. Bullshit. (laughs) But he goes in and. He, he hits him with the dragon's breath first, and Balthazar is all like, fire? I was born of this. And then he hits him with the holy water. Right. And his face starts melting off. I really like the fire I was born of this line, but he delivers it so fucking poorly. I know. <laughs> it was a cool line, though. And so then he puts on his brass knuckles, which like have little fucking crosses on them and all this stuff inscribed all around it in Latin and all this crazy shit. But he beats the shit out of him with, oh, these, yeah. with these brass knuckles. And then just to be a dick, starts to read him his last rites. Yes, to send him to heaven. <laughs> yes. And Balthazar is like, oh, I'm not having any of this. And he spills the beans. The blood of God. He found it. Whatever killed the son of God will give birth to the son of the devil. It's so great, though, because, like, you can tell Keanu Reeves is doing his version of overacting. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, how you <laughs> yes. do that in a movie? Like, when the non-actor's supposed to be acting, they overact or whatever. Yeah. It's just, it's just so neat. And he's doing this big production because he tells Balthazar, by the way, you have to ask for absolution. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can ask for absolution, asshole. John fucking Constantine. So... The pieces of Balthazar are there as Mamone approaches. And Balthazar is like, I did what you wanted. I brought you the girl. And he's like, he could tell he's going someplace he didn't expect to go, or he was supposed to get some kind of reward that he didn't get, and he's fucked because he's like, no, Padme. I thought it was Gabriel. I don't think so because the way we see the bald head of Mamone we see later, I'm pretty sure this is the same thing. I just, 
Mamone can't come to Earth yet. Not yet, but the but Mamone the demon can surely walk in front of another demon and talk to them. Because it's just in shadow. He's going to present himself to Angela later, too. Okay, I just always thought it was Gabriel, because Gabriel's the one pulling the strings to make all this happen. And he didn't do what Gabriel told him to. And Gabriel does a weird thing with the wind later in the hospital. Like the blowing. What? There's a, I don't remember. There's a scene. I'd have to watch it. I specifically noticed it last night because I was looking for it. But there's something in, like when he's doing the ritual, like when Gabriel's in the room, there's a thing with the wind blowing. Like that was like his thing or something. Huh. So now for anyone who hasn't figured this out, Angela's psychic. And the spear of destiny is, quote unquote, the help of God, because Constantine and Angela have a conversation walking down the hallway about how I know the crucifixion story. It was the spear that actually killed Christ, which means it has Christ's blood on it. Holy shit. That means I'm the psychic. And then she gets ripped out through the right. fucking building. <laughs> and it's awesome. It's a doll going through a bunch of walls in a lot of the shots. But I still love the way she's like, I got this tingling in my belly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. just fucking yanked out. I love the use of the spear of uh, Longinus used in like anything like because it, it gets used so much. But it's I mean, it's a spear that stabbed Jesus Christ, man. So it's like easy to use it as a relic. But this was a different way because yeah. usually it's it's like a relic that can kill something, right? That That's like heavenly. Or, yeah, it's a weapon. Or, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting. It's like we just need his DNA off of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, let's get CSI on the shit. <laughs> we just need some of that Christ juju. So. Now proper fucked, Constantine goes back to Papa Midnight. But back at the club, he demands to use the chair. Funny how he comes in, too, because he guesses the card right, and the guy tells him he's wrong, and he fucking decks him. And then Chaz is like, yeah, bitch. Yeah, because Chaz finally gets to go in the club. And Chaz is great here in the club here in a minute, too. <laughs> and uh, so he goes to use the chair, which uh, it's the electric chair from Sing Sing. If, if I remember right, it's what Papa Midnight yeah, says. Yeah, and like over 500 souls or 2,000 souls. I don't remember passed yeah. through it. And Jones are like, which way is east? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which like how they don't explain it. But that's not saying like they, they dip their toes into magic. Without explaining it. But made them all psychics instead of magic. Okay. So Papa Midnight fucking busts this light bulb open on the end of this stick, pours water in the floor. This is where he's barefoot. Yes. <laughs> rubber soles insulate. I'm serious. That's why I got to take his shoes off. Because he pours the water on the floor and like Papa Midnight's like oh. drinking some booze and he's got John. He's like, you might want to drink this. I thought you were saying rubber soles insulate because of my fuck up earlier when he had the shoes on in the pot in Angela's apartment. No, he's going to get electrocuted. Yes. Yeah. So Papa Midnight dramatically... Rams the busted light bulb filament into the water. What's his? He's like, hit me, hit me. <laughs> yeah. And every time I see that that scene, I think he's gonna stab him. Every time. Don't. No, I just say that's weird. I have like the weird Mary statue's gonna grab and he's gonna fucking pop the cat's neck like a corkscrew, and you randomly think he's gonna impale his ass with a lamp. I think this movie touched us, and we've seen into the other planes, and in another dimension, these things happen. Moving on. <laughs> So Constantine sees basically snippets of the Spears trip from its finding place to the hospital. And I got to say, the first little shot he sees is the guy squatting over the hole, like digging a thing. It so looks like it's a homeless guy popping a shit. It does. <laughs> like, <laughs> I will so give you that. <laughs> like, I almost died laughing. I was like, it's, he's fucking, it's a method popping a shit in a fucking <laughs> pothole. 
But once the spear has made it to the hospital, he also sees that the hospital is flooded with half-breed demons. And he comes out of it, and we've got John and Chaz getting ready to head off to rescue Angela and save the world. But they actually get a little bit of help from Papa Midnight this time. So he gives Chaz this cross. I forget where the fuck it's from. Yeah, because Chaz is sitting there loading all the ammo, and he's telling the story. is like, in the times of blah, 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 even the commoners were able to bless the water, and, and priests have even been able to, to bless rain. And that's the thing with the Chaz character in the movie is it's not always like it's in the books is what he keeps getting told because he just reads and reads and reads. And my understanding that Chaz as a sidekick, you know, with Constantine being his mentor, the way it is in the movie is not how it is in the books that literally Chaz is just this dude that that's by his side. Yeah. I don't remember the specifics of Chaz from the comics or the graphic novels. Cause I want to say he's like an adult and shit in yeah. the comics. But as they go to leave, uh, Papa Midnight starts praying. Yeah. Who's he? Which one is it that he prays for first? I forget. I don't know, but Chaz is totally with it. And uh, Constantine's like, fuck this, I'm out. Exactly. (laughs) So they get to the hospital and they split up and Chaz goes and I'm going to get work nerdy on you. Um, Chaz. (laughs) Please don't do this to me. Chaz goes to this big thing of water that is supposedly for the sprinkler system and shoves it in there. Is there not a big flammable sticker? There on, is. And then he blasts it with a shotgun? No, no, no. That's supposed to tell us that it's the water for the sprinkler system. That's why it's got the fire sticker. Oh, uh, okay, okay, okay. Which is total bullshit. That's not how sprinkler systems work. Anyways. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> we got dry systems, wet systems. There is no cistern. That's what I'm getting at. But whatever. It's a fucking movie. Meanwhile. It's a badass scene, man. Yeah. Meanwhile, we're about to have a fucking totally matrixy slash video game scene. So John's giving a speech and he's like standing up in this chair and he's like, all of you are blah, blah, blah. And if you don't leave these premises immediately, I will deport all your sorry asses. So he's giving the spiel all the while holding his fucking big ass prop lighter up to one of the sprinkler heads. Fucking the sprinkler system goes off, which Chaz manages to shove the cross in the hole so we know it's blessed water. And the half-breeds are all standing there like, this is dumb. And they got... <laughs> I don't... Why are they not trying to stop them? They're all like watching. I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. So as the, the sprinkler holy water starts landing on all the demons, they're like, uh-huh. Until one of them is like, holy water? It's like fucking Blade, man. Some motherfucker's <laughs> got to ice skate uphill, right? Isn't that what happened in the first Blade movie? Which is another horror comic movie I drug your ass to. Yes. Oh. Isn't that what happens in the club? He turns out, or was it, was that Blood Sprinklers? I, I might think, have just mixed up I my think shit. I think you're thinking of the Blood Sprinklers, but it doesn't matter. It's still a club. It's still a bloodbath. And there is still the line, some motherfuckers always try to <laughs> ice skate uphill, which I love that line. I think Steven Dorff is just stuck in my head right now. I got the Blade vision going. <laughs> But at any rate, so now weakened by the holy water, he starts blasting with fucking shotgun and it cuts a few times to this like three quarter overhead shot that so feels like it's right out of Silent Hill. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I I didn't necessarily like I don't remember Silent Hill real well. I only played the first one, so I didn't necessarily get specifically that vibe, but it is like a badass like video game action sequence. Where you're, you're trying to get to the boss and they want you to feel like a badass before you get your shit pushed in a couple times. Yes, exactly. Right back to that bag of peas. <laughs> but uh, 
we're in the third act, by the way, at this point. We're also in the hour, like, God fucking knows a recording. So yeah, we start to go brain dead after a while. We're doing a lot better than we did with Jordan Peele, and we're actually doing two episodes a night. So, yeah, and he's mowing them all down. <laughs> and he, I don't know if he runs out of ammo or what, but at the last minute, fucking Chaz comes in and blasts one of the, the half breeds. I keep wanting to say demons, but they're technically not. Chaz comes in and blasts one, saving Constantine's ass. They're fucking demons. I don't get this whole half breed bullshit. All right. So meanwhile, Angel is being pulled into hell by a spirit destiny dude because she's in the pool that Isabel fell into when she jumped off the roof. Same hospital and shit. Because isn't it like kind of part of the ritual, like both the twins have to be in hell or something? Did I catch up like that earlier in the movie? All it said was that Mamone would need a powerful psychic and the help of God. Okay. But uh, he pulls her down into hell and that's when she gets to see Mamone. And watching this on DVD... Home Alone, this scene used to scare the shit out of me because I sat there and I would pause it and freeze frame when Mamone, the totally fucking CGI, lunges at the camera. And in hindsight, it looks like a cross between like a gray alien and some kind of demon. To me, uh, Jason Voorhees, like the little kid Jason that jumps out of the the lake. Yeah. I can see what you're saying there, but it really used to scare the shit out of me. And I would sit there like frame by frame, like, this is really scary. Why am I looking at this? Like, <laughs> and, and in all seriousness, what you've talked about, like the demon possession being raised in the church, like that being scary. Like I'm sitting there and I'm like, I should really get my shit together. <laughs> so, um, by now we cut back to, uh, John and Chaz coming into the same room where she is, but it's too late. She's preggers. <laughs> And she is, and she's like, she's, she's possessed and she looks like a deadite. Kind of. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, um, <laughs> so Constantine casts out the demon and they think it's all cool. And Chaz decides to talk some shit. Yeah. You know what? You're fucking gone. Cause I'm Chaz, Chaz Kramer. And he gets his ass beat all around the room and up against the ceiling and the floor and shit. Like. Take your pick, either Paranormal Activity 4 or Freddy versus Jason when he does the, the pinball bit. Um, gets the shit beat out of him. Chaz is gone. <laughs> he is no more. So for some reason, now this comes to the, so Constantine's got these two big fucking tattoos on his arm. The Triangles of the Red King or some shit. I don't remember what it is. Something like that. And he like brings his arms together and summons Gabriel. Why? He's not summoning Gabriel. He knows that there's somebody else in the room. Like, it, it wasn't Maman that killed Chaz. Just like I, I think it was Gabriel that was in the room with Balthazar. There's this hidden presence that's been helping the whole time. And he knows somebody else is in the fucking room. So he starts doing that into the light. I command thee. And he's basically trying to break this, like, hidden Pierce veil, veil or whatever. Yeah, because somebody else is in the fucking room with them because they just slammed Chaz. Because Maman's trapped inside Angela at this point, right? Yeah. And that would make more sense with. The shit, the spiel that fucking Gabriel's fixing to give about humans not being worthy and shit. And do you see why I was so, thinking with, with Balthazar that it, cause he's like, I did what you told me to. And it's because Gabriel was like pulling the strings the whole time. It's like supernatural or something all over again. <laughs> so it's not, it's not just the blood from the spear. It, the help of God or whatever. It's an angel. Yeah. It's okay. And that fixes one of my problems with the end of this movie. I have a problem through the whole movie, and I meant to bring this up earlier. When, okay. when I said explain half-breeds to me, he calls Gabriel a half-breed. Yes. Gabriel's an angel from heaven. So how's Gabriel a half-breed? 
I don't know. They do the whole thing with the humans with the light in the eyes. And when he first goes to see Gabriel, Gabriel standing there as a human with the light in the eyes. Maybe the whole thing was a was a fake out. I mean, he calls him Gabriel. He knows he's know. Gabriel at the church. And I know it's Tilda Swinton, and I'm saying he, it's Gabriel. <laughs> and I don't, I just didn't understand how Gabriel was a half breed unless it's like Gabriel's possessing this vessel. Hey, I'm good. I'm totally good. With, I, in all seriousness, I'm totally good I with that. I watch too much Supernatural. That's why I say that. But then it, <laughs> it, it really makes the, the demons and the angels can't come over and they can't interfere. Bullshit because they're possessing somebody. That's more than influencing at that point. Holy shit. Let's go to a whole nother level. If the, we know for a fact the demons have crossed through because of the whole vermin demon encounter. Right. So maybe Gabriel wasn't just visiting, talking with John like, they play it out like he's used to be able to talk talk to Gabriel. And Gabriel, that's supposed to be our tell that on the good side, Gabriel has actually went ahead and crossed over and been hanging out on Earth and doing more than influencing. Yeah, because, I mean, he doesn't say they can't. He says they're not supposed exactly, to. Exactly, because of the balance. And <sighs> and Gabriel's there meeting with a priest, so I, I don't know. I, I feel like that's one of the few holes in the movie. But yeah, man, like I think Gabriel, well, no, no, I know Gabriel was the mastermind behind all this, but I think John knew Gabriel was in the room hidden and he, he just fucking pulls him out. Yeah. Okay. So now that Gabriel's there <laughs> in all her, his she at glory. Yeah. David <laughs> Bowie comes into the room. <laughs> Gabriel lays out the whole thing about how humans are unfucking deserving of God's love. And with Mamone rising to power and fucking punishing the shit out of all of them, they'll have to earn God's love. Right. And isn't this usually like the standard fare in these movies where the angel, you know, with the angels like bringing the apocalypse early? It's yes. always like God loved us the most, and then He made you, and then He loved you more, and you shit on them, well, you know. And we're gonna teach you the lesson. It's all back to the original story of Satan. So Lucifer was just an angel, right? That was pissed off that. They get a choice. We have to worship you. Yeah, they get yeah. to choose. It's all always a retelling of that. But how does Constantine end up across the room up against the door, sitting in the floor, ready to slit his wrist? The wind earlier when I was talking about the Balthazar scene and the wind blowing him away. And yeah. I said, Gabriel does like wind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Jesse's dancing right now. <laughs> I'm just going to cover Josh's movies from now on. <laughs> Look, I'm trying to pare down my notes, all right? <laughs> but uh, so in all seriousness, so Constantine gets blown out of the room and into the next room. He's sitting there on the floor. He's got shit else to do. So he prays. <laughs> and, but it's a John Constantine kind of prayer because he looks up and he's like, I don't know if you ever listen to me <laughs> type kind of yeah, prayer. Yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, he slits both his wrists with the broken glass from the door he just got thrown into. And uh, Gabriel, fucking Spear of Destiny in hand, goes to stab Angela. Son of Satan, I unleash you unto this world. We soon see that Papa Midnight was right, because time stops and Satan himself shows up to collect John Constantine's fucking soul. I like how he floats down with the icky black shit all over his feet. I don't know what the fuck it's supposed to be, but... Yeah. I guess the, the tar of hell. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> it, it looks like tar to me, but in his white suit. And uh, shows John how we fix things on Russian space station. <laughs> yes. And he's, so he's get to get this fucking chair and he's like, yeah, yeah you motherfucker. <laughs> like right. this, this whole attitude about him. And of course, John's like, 
you might want to go look into what's going on in the other room. It's like, what's that? And it's like, Gabriel's in there with your son. Right. <laughs> it's like, what? They're <laughs> a fucking. <laughs> in a roundabout way. <laughs> and of course, fucking Satan bursts into the other room and <laughs> stops Gabriel. <laughs> and he like, because everything's frozen still. And he's right. like walking through the broken glass and shit. It looks so badass because he bursts the glass out with like magic, basically. <laughs> and he's walking normal speed, but the glass is in slow-mo. Yes. And he just kind of slides Angela's body out from under the fucking blade. <laughs> and then time goes again. And Gabriel stabs into the fucking floor and is looking up at Satan. Like, uh, hey, guy, <laughs> what you doing? <laughs> He instantly goes into uh, like archangel mode, like, oh, Satan, I must smite thee, yeah, right? I will smite thee in his honor. <laughs> and she gets frozen. She, he, whatever, gets frozen just as she goes to hit him. What does he say? He's like, uh-oh, looks like someone doesn't have your back anymore. <laughs> Best Satan ever. So Satan fucking cast Malone back to hell where he belongs and fucking the hellfire. That, that's going on in all this burns off Gabriel's wings. And anybody who's seen dogma knows that if an angel loses their wings, they trans transubstantiate. Is that the word into human form? We'll get that solidified here in a minute. <laughs> Gotta um, get a job now and shit. It's bullshit. So now <laughs> this is the part that really pisses me off. So Satan goes back over to Constantine and he's like, what do you want? Why does he even offer him a deal? So he wants Isabel out of hell, not alive, but out of hell and into heaven. And uh, all of a sudden, actually, Satan's like, fine, it's done. Because he does this long draw yeah, and breath yeah. like, I don't want to, it's done. And uh, <laughs> he grabs Constantine by the leg. And starts dragging him, but then the floor starts wadding up up under him like he weighs as much as the fucking ring. <laughs> Lord of the Rings. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if he was just making a deal. I wonder if he was just like rewarding him. For, like, you did me a solid, I'll do you a solid. I don't know, because it's fixing to backfire big. Well, it, it, there's this whole ping pong match between God <laughs> and Satan here for a second. <laughs> With a middle finger involved. <laughs> yes. So fucking bright lights start shining down and everything. And fucking Constantine starts floating away. And Satan's like, no. Yeah, because he made a selfless sacrifice, right? Yeah, it's like the sacrifice. And that's when he looks back and gives him the fucking nod and the bird. Yeah. <laughs> fucking Constantine flipping the bird as he ascends into heaven. is That is fucking meme worthy right there. And then Satan's all like, no. And fucking grabs him and reaches up inside of him and pulls the fucking cancer out of his lungs. And he's like, no, you're going to stay here long enough to prove that your soul belongs in hell. Why? No, he didn't have to heal the cancer, but he only had a couple months to live. There's a chance that he wouldn't commit a sin in two months, but you give him 40 more years, he's going to fuck up. <sighs> that's, I mean, honestly, that's okay. literally what I took out of it. Like he healed him, resurrected him, whatever. So now he's not going to heaven. He's back on earth. And then he cures the cancer so that he has longer to live. So he has more of a chance to fuck up and end up in hell. The only thing that gets me is the fucking half breeds, man. Because like the deport, he's like, if to deport someone <laughs> would mean that they came from the other place first. 
So why doesn't he just call him possessed? I don't, cause I'm going to have to go possessed at this point until the post credit scene. And then that goes down the shitter. I don't know, but, and I'm going to fucking contradict myself here, but Satan should have just let Constantine go to heaven. Cause out of all the fucking trouble Constantine has caused, you'd think Satan knows that keeping him there is just going to be more of a pain in the ass, but Satan is the great egotistical asshole. So fine. He just wants to torture him. He wants his revenge, but Satan gets his way. So everybody wakes up, not Chaz. <laughs> <laughs> no, he gone. <laughs> he gone. <laughs> and uh, Gabriel, now realizing that he's human, <laughs> begs to be smited by John. <laughs> and he fucking decks her. And that's really funny because he's trying to make John kill him so that he can go to heaven, right? With a, with a clean yeah. soul. But that would also damn John right back to hell if he did it. Touché. That's why John didn't do it. That's why John didn't kill it. Because you know John wanted to kill the motherfucker. He just killed Chaz. Yeah, he's going he's gonna to lead the fucking clean life now. Yeah, so he didn't want to go to hell, so he let him live. But you got to hit a motherfucker. <laughs> Those are street rules. So we cut to John and Angela on a rooftop or a balcony or whatever. And this is the most comic book looking shot in the movie to me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he gives her the fucking Spear of Destiny. So she's the, of the powerful psychic. Let's give her the spirit destiny too. <laughs> Tells her to hide it somewhere that not even he will know, which I get, but still in the inner room while she's going to hide it. Bad idea. You can at least protect her along the way, right? <sighs> no, because, well, they finally kiss. No, they don't. <laughs> they give us one more swing and a miss with that because it's been like eight. fucking. Yeah. He like leans in for shit all the time. And it looks like they're going to kiss, but he doesn't. Yeah. And uh, she takes off, and John chooses gum over his cigarette. Well, the camera angle looks like he's lighting a cigarette until it flips around. The end. And like I said, leaving this movie the very first time, I was so mad that I just felt like it was an anti-smoking commercial. Um, You've seen the post-credit scene, right? Are you fucking kidding me right now? <laughs> no. About as many times as I've seen this movie, I haven't seen a post fucking credit scene. I mean, honestly, this is like one of the first movies to jump on that bandwagon. Are you fucking with me? I, I quit. <laughs> Are you fucking with me? No. Okay. So you're about to really understand why the half breed thing pisses me off. Okay. So John goes to a cemetery and Chaz's tombstones there. Okay. And he says some parting bullshit to his friend, right? And then he sets his Zippo on top of the tombstone and he starts to walk away and you're like the wind flaps, right? I have seen this. Chaz comes down as an angel in the white clothes, like Gabriel with the wings and takes it and smiles at him with the glowing eyes and flies off. If they're half breeds and they're possessed people, then how the fuck is Chaz an angel? There's a lot of how the fuck is Chaz an angel, (laughs) but yes. Okay. I have seen that. I just didn't rewatch it for the podcast. I forgot. It's it's fine. I fucking forgot about it, but I'm okay with him coming down as an angel. Maybe he was rewarded because he died fighting on the good. But if he got turned into like a full angel, he shouldn't be able to come over here except for Gabriel did it. And if he's a half breed thing and it's a possession thing, he's a fucking corpse. I got it. Fuck it. I'm gonna put a bow on this. The balance is still out of balance and everything John Constantine has and will do is fucking pointless. (laughs) That's very hellblazer of them. Um, so there was an announced sequel. Really? I never heard this. Um, I want to say the last update on it was 2018. Um, but this is IMDb. So put as much stock in that as you want. I bet Keanu would do it if it was a real thing. 
here's the thing. Because the fact that he's doing like a new Bill and Ted, I mean, he's a Toy Story 4 character. Check this out. So right after they did the movie or right after the movie was released, there was already a bunch of buzz about doing a fucking sequel. And according to the director, when Keanu Reeves was approached about it, he said, no, I don't want to be in sequels. Hadn't he already done three three Matrix movies, two Bill and Ted's. Okay, we aren't into the John Wicks yet. So I don't know if this is a whole load of horseshit. It sounds like horseshit to me. From the director. I mean, you could ignore the Bill and Ted because that was like really early in his career, right? But he just finished the Matrix series, right? Yeah. And maybe, honestly, maybe he was burnt out. And there, that's what I was going to say. There may be some validity to that because Matrix 2 and 3 were shot at the same time and he had just come off of that shoot. It like wasn't even six months before they started shooting this. Yeah, he might have just been burned out. Like, I don't want to get stuck doing another fucking series. There's going to be eight of these goddamn things. Yeah. And then, I mean, the honestly. The brothers kicked my ass, man. Yeah. And honestly, it wasn't until John Wick again that he did like a movie series. Yep. He did plenty of one-offs, but. Yeah. Most notably, Knock Knock. I love the whole idea of, like I said, heaven and earth being in the same plane. If you get into like string theory and M theory, I totally buy this idea. Is this us again? No, this is quantum physics. If you, (laughs) okay, if you're going to fucking stop me, I can get, okay, conspiracies aren't for everyone, but you can't stop me on quantum physics. Okay. (laughs) I just meant like, like pulling some crazy shit going into it okay okay. just just mathematically the math supports the idea of multiple dimensions existing in the same space yeah i mean it's definitely a neat way to do it the veil thing has been done you know before in this in this type of scenario or story can't think anything specific right now but i know i've seen it where it's like it's a veil and i can see the demons and yeah and this and that I i really like this movie when we saw it in theaters I own it and I watch it fairly regularly. I haven't in the past few years, but I have kids and shit now. So things change. It, it's a lot of fun. It is more horror than I remember it being. I remembered in, in my head, it was more of a comic book movie and less of a horror movie. Okay. And it, it's, that's not the case when you watch it. It's got like a lot of really cool horror elements in it. Like yeah. the fucking mirror thing was awesome. So was John punching a demon in the throat. But <laughs> <laughs> And I think I made the joke at the beginning. It's the worst comic book adaptation that was good, right? Yeah. And, and like I said, I haven't read Hellblazer since I was probably, I don't know, 13, 15. I can't tell you okay. when. And I, I had to dust them off to to catch up on them before we went and saw the movie in theaters because I still had some of the comics then. Gotcha. Or at least like one of the little graphic novel volumes. But I do know, like, and if I already touched on some of this, I'm sorry. I'll just go through it really quickly. Like, I remember... The psychic things made up for the movie, right? Like he's he's just like a witch or a warlock or whatever. And okay. I mean, some of it he does for money and he's like a bounty hunter kind of or a private detective would be better to say. Um, I remember he was damned to hell because of a failed exorcism to save a girl and he killed the girl by accident. So he, he basically murdered her, right? So like that's why he goes to hell. Whoopsie daisy. Whoopsie daisies, <laughs> that's right. Uh, I don't remember. I'm pretty sure he tricked Satan into curing his lung cancer. Like earlier in the, it had nothing to do with this plot, like this plot's for the movie, but like he did get, he did have lung cancer and he did get cured of it. I don't know if he ever quit smoking. I want to say his entire body was covered in different magical tattoos and he did have like lots of magic relics, but I mean, he thought, I mean, he fought all sorts of paranormal things. That's why it was in a swamp thing comic, but you know, like they, they kept a lot of the roots there. I don't know why they decided to go the psychic route and I don't remember there being as much heaven, hell on earth. 
I mean, it was definitely there because he does exorcisms and shit. But I don't know. It was, it was definitely like a really cool, neat take on it. And I don't know. This is a fun one to watch. And I'm kind of glad we covered it because I forgot how much I like this movie. Well, sweet. Well, that's it for Demons 2. I wish we could go on to the third one, but all good things must come to an end. So you guys are going to have to tune in on the next episode when we cover the 28 days slash weeks franchise. Oh, see, see, this is a really shit idea. You know why? Because it's really obviously a shit idea. That's right. Before COVID-19, there was rage. Ooh, too soon. <laughs> As usual, guys, thanks for downloading the show and spreading the word. Please do not forget to rate and review us online, and please, please send us comments, questions, and suggestions to our email, sbspodcast at gmail.com. We would also love it if you could follow our Twitter and Instagram, both at sbspodcast. This might motivate us to use them more. See you guys on the next one. Thanks for listening. I'm one of your favorites. I'm not even welcome in your house, but I could use more of these.